Tonight's comeback edition of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by Spotify. I hope you're listening to podcasts on Spotify, their app. You can change the speeds. I am a 1.2 times the speed guy. Some people are 1.5. Some people are two, which I don't understand. I almost feel like you're an alien if you're a two, but I'm a 1.2 guy. They also have cool charts, which they launched last month. You can look at top podcasts, trending podcasts. You can look at everything broken down by the genre. Check it out. If you're not listening to your podcast on Spotify, at least give it a whirl. It's good. You'll like it. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where the Ringer NBA show is back in full swing because basketball is back. We launched a new show on Mondays with Logan Murdoch and Raja Bell, both of whom joined the Ringer. Yeah, there you go. Um, the podcast is going up Monday morning ET. So if you're listening to this in the wee hours on Sunday night, it is not up yet, but by Monday morning, it will be. Very excited to have both of them aboard. You'll be hearing Raja on this podcast probably later this week as well. But um, Logan and Raja on Mondays on Ringer NBA mismatch twice a week, Tuesdays and and Thursday nights. And then we'll also have group chat on Wednesdays as well. So four shows a week on Ringer NBA while the basketball is going. You can also, Rosillo, who's coming on in a second, he has his podcast as well. We'll, we'll be covering basketball on there as well. So there you go. Rosillo's coming up. We're back on Sunday nights. For the foreseeable future, we'll see what happens. If football ever comes back, who knows? Then Sal will come back on Sunday nights and Russell and I are going to do Tuesday nights through the rest of the basketball season. But we'll see. We'll see football. Who knows? We're As we're seeing with baseball right now, you just never know with this stuff. Um, the worse the league is run, the more unlikely it is that they're going to pull off a season during the COVID era. That's my... Expert opinion. All right, Rosillo is coming up. Uh, let's bring in our friends for Pearl Jam. All right, we're starting this. It's 8.21 Pacific time. The Rockets just came back and beat the Bucks. This has been an awesome few days of basketball. I got to say, like, I talked about it a little bit on Thursday night. Every objective they had for this whole bubble thing worked. Are the players safe? Yes. Are they raising awareness for social justice? Yes. Um, is, is this a level of play that we're happy with? Yes. Do we miss the fans? Not really. Um, <laughs> how much do you love bubble <laughs> basketball? I got to say, I don't miss the fans. Uh, you know, I look, I, I think there's an atmosphere to it that once these games really get cranked up for what's on the line, we're going to miss them. Um, but agree. my expectations were probably low just because I'm like, it's going to be weird. And as I pointed out, I've been in those buildings in Orlando before, but as low as my expectations were, which sometimes mean like it's so beyond my expectations. It's been so good. The players deserve so much credit for staying in shape. I don't know if 20 years ago that, that NBA era would have come in like this. I, you know, I, I just don't know if they would have. And the basketball, and a lot of it's on the announcers, but I'm so impressed. So that's where I'm at. It's a cross between Summer League, NBA 2K, and some weird tournament that's happening in Turkey to qualify for like the world championships. That's the vibe with the wide cameras a lot of room on the baselines. You can kind of see some fans, but not really. The noise is a little different. They they did a nice job of using the hometown 
cues that different, like I'm so used to the Celtic games and the little dun, 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 when they need a basket. So using all those. So it's kind of fooling you into thinking it's a home game in some ways. And then I got, I didn't like the digital fans in the background. The first game, I think they, they made the faces smaller. And it kind of looks realistic. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't totally look fake. It's okay. Like there's movement at least in places that there should be movement. So I just think it's an A plus. I'm really impressed. Yeah. The virtual fan thing, like I, I'm not going to ever be upset about it. You know, I'm not going to be like, man, this is unbelievable. Giannis head to head with Harden Westbrook down the stretch a minute to go one point game Houston with another amazing comeback. And oh, that guy looks stupid. <laughs> like that guy in row three, he looks stupid. So now I'm going to let that impact my enjoyment of this. Um, you know, even even the audio, like, you know, I've been watching a lot of baseball too, and you can tell the level of like preparation and what went into like how they're going to do the home crowd. It's all over the map. And the least shocking thing ever was the first day with Nesson where you go, you guys, like you're hitting the button at the wrong time. Like it doesn't even make yeah. any sense. It's a second but, late. Right. The, Utah was getting blown out the other day. And it, Utah was the home team, and they had Utah home angst crowd, and it was probably was like they're down twenty, and then you can just hear the crowd going. Uh, uh. <laughs> so <laughs> you think that's perfect. a button? Utah home I think angst. I think there's a home angst button, and for Utah, it's a special kind of angst, as we know how passionate their fans are. So yeah, I'm I'm in. I I thought that's what was happening. Well, there's been two huge things that came out of bubble basketball. Other than the stuff we just mentioned, one is the March Madness benches that we suddenly have in the NBA. And I don't know how much of it is for show. I don't know how much of it is. These guys are just trapped in a bubble and they're basically in their hotel rooms or hanging out with the same 20 people all the time that they are genuinely this excited. There's more room to operate. There's, you know, the benches are much wider. The reactions have been great. And I do feel like the, the the players in the bench feel like they have to fill the noise a little bit because there is a little bit of a noise vacuum, I'm sure, in the court. I've enjoyed that. So I have one other thing, but just the the March Madness benches, what are your thoughts? Because you, you could go either way on this stuff. No, I, I've always felt like when you go to the game and you pay for one of those seats right behind the bench, it's in theory one of the great seats you can have because you can watch all the interaction. You can see which guys actually really like each other. If it's a team that had high hopes and they're falling apart, then you're like, look at where these guys are sitting. But this has been going on in the league now for a couple of years where that seat sucks now because the team, it's almost mandatory that if you're a team at the end of the bench that isn't feeling it on every single possession and up supporting guys, so like that part of it's great. It sucks for the people behind it. But I'm not surprised to see that even amplified because of boredom. I mean, think how long these guys are sitting around. There's no travel. So everybody should be fresh. And I just, I just think it's this feeling of, of community because at this point, you don't even have any choice but to be around all these guys the entire time. There's some sprinting going on with the bench guys too. So they'll be like, they showed Robin Lopez after a big bucks basket today. And he ran from like the corner all the way to mid court and back. There's things that I think they're just going to kind of look the other way on with the benches. But I really enjoyed that. The other thing I talked about it a little on Thursday, cause it was the first thing I really noticed with, with the first two games where you didn't have photographers under the basket. You didn't have the fans close to the court, especially on the baseline. And there's just a lot of room. And it was interesting to watch the players kind of explore that room on drives. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, this is stupid, but one of the reasons the points were so far up and why we we had these games in the 130s and the 120s, things like that. You can drive to the basket now, full speed, 100 miles an hour, 
and not worry about landing in somebody. You can dive into the sides and save loose balls and not worry about taking out like a family of four. I wonder if the league is looking at this and if the players are looking at this going, this is kind of the way it should be. Can, can we make the underneath the basket? Can we clear that out? Because it's actually better for basketball. I think the numbers are up because the defense is terrible with some of these teams. They're totally well, confused on what they too. want to do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's part of it, but there's a bigger conversation about all sports and what's going to change forever and what kind of access are locker rooms going to have now players never wanted these guys in there. And it, there's arguments that it's an invasion of privacy and like, Hey, who would ever would have to put up with what we have to put up in a locker room? You wonder if that'll ever go back. I'm not as extreme as thinking that we're never going to have a hundred thousand people in a college football stadium. I don't think that's done forever, but you're right. Like those seats are great. Those we've sat in them. Those, those baseline seats are unbelievable. But it never really made sense that you have, especially now, the guys are so much bigger and they're landing from these, these spots. Like I had a theory that we had just too many seven-footers that were perimeter players, and that's why they're getting hurt all the time because it was just such a weird thing for the body to keep landing like that in the way this athleticism combined with their size kind of made them more fragile. And I don't know why... And I think we all just kind of accept it because that's the way it was. But I, I'm with you. I don't know if the NBA is going to say, hey, maybe we should just stop putting cameraman underneath this landing area for these players all season long. Well, how are they doing this with the cameras now? Like, I'm sure there's stuff under the basket that they're probably doing robotically. And it, I, I think or we just don't notice it. You know, if it's missing, like, has it really changed that much? Yeah. And are you missing photographers under the basket? It's like, oh, getting damn. crushed. I can't, I can't see my newspaper the next step. That'd be getting the newspaper. What do I care? I think they're going to have to clear that stuff out because there's just a feel to these games. And I, and the space is kind of cool. And I'm with you. There's been defensive lapses and all that stuff, but I do feel like there's a pace to how people are playing that all of this fits into the same package. You can fly up and down, you can push the ball, you can dive all over the place and you don't have to worry about these people that are everywhere in your way. So you're saying that you're not going to be like, man, is Embiid's ass huge? You haven't seen that <laughs> shot. I just, I just won't know. I just won't know during this, this presentation. The other thing that announcers keep bringing up and I don't, I don't know if it's fair or not where, you know, there's just so much corner action now where you're just you sit in the corner but you have to catch and sometimes if you're moving a little bit it's hard to keep track and the fact that these guys feet are enormous um how many times guys are stepping out of bounds and they're basically saying that the bench is sean elliott was saying on the local broadcast for the spurs he goes you know that was my spot that right corner and the the, the seats being there gave me another kind of boundary mm. to kind of feel and it kept me in bounds i i just think I don't know. I don't know what happened with that. I just think players today don't don't pay as much attention to the out of bounds line. So I don't know if it's the lack of seats. I've seen it constantly, but I feel like I've just seen that happen more where guys kind of set up a little bit. Again, they're huge. You could move it back six inches, maybe move that around. But then it's like, do you really want to space it out even more? Would it be that big of a difference? But that's just something guys keep bringing up with all these kind of changes that we're learning about this week. I always thought it was amazing how they have such a sense for the it's because if you're actually on a court, the real estate is so much smaller than you realize throwing the fact that most of these guys have big feet instinctively. They always know where they are. And I know they practice it and stuff like that, but you're right. The perspective of the, of where the seats are, the baseline, it, it's almost like they have this photographic imprint of where they are at all times. Even if you could spin them around, put them in a spot and they would still kind of have a sense for where they are. Now you have these baselines. The, the actual baseline is fat. Which, may, which is what makes it seem like we're playing in Turkey or something more than anything is 
just the actual geometry of the court is different. They'll get used to it. The other thing they have to get used to, and this was in the Memphis Portland game, which had like five or six technicals. They're talking shit to each other, but there's no noise and the refs are picking up everything. So it's like, I make a shot over you. I'm like, Russell, you fucking motherfucker. Fuck you. And as I'm walking away, the refs are actually hearing that now and they're just teeing these guys up. So now these guys have to figure out a whole new way how to trash talk. Right. But there have been a couple tees where I think that would have been called in a regular season game where guys are staring yeah. each other down, probably because they haven't dunked on anybody in five months and it feels awesome. And they're looking at the guy. I, there was one double header where early on, like back to back games, the way the game was called was entirely different. Like there was one Utah game. I think it was the Utah game where they came back against New Orleans and they were murdering each other on high screens, like chucking yeah. guys to the ground. And then the next game, like any kind of clogging off a screen got called. And I'm like, man, this is this is like two different versions of this entirely. But you might be totally right that in one game, you're just going to hear more of this stuff more and more. But I felt like in that one technical happy game, the guys were staring each other down a little bit just because they it was were, it just felt it just felt good to be back out there. Well, this brings me to the next thing I want to talk about. So these are the best 22 teams. And three of them suck. So we're really talking about 19 <laughs> teams. But it's still, we had so many good games over those four days. It seemed like an inordinate amount of good games. It was almost like March Madness. We're like, man, that was awesome. Then there's another was like, man, that was really good. And I was thinking about it. It's because we got rid of all the shitty teams. The eight worst teams are just not playing. And you think about, especially when we get into February, March, April with the real season and you have teams that are tanking, teams that got hurt and it's just shit game after your shit game. And you're just like, oh man, Milwaukee, Orlando, this is going to suck. Milwaukee's favored by 20. Now we just have the top 22. They're all playing each other. And to me, I was thinking it's, they'll never do this. They'll never have relegation, but this is what NBA premier league would feel like, right? Where he was like, here are our best 22 teams. We've jettisoned the worst eight. They're going to have to play their way back in, but this is the cream of the crop. And that's what we're getting. So in a weird way, it's almost like the playoffs. And I think that's why a lot of these games really feel like playoff games, because the reality is it's not like there's real stakes here. There's no home court advantage anymore. It doesn't really matter if Dallas is the seven seed, you know, because it's there. It's not like well, they, it's a matchup. The only reason it would matter is because that's matchup, it. Not, right, right. But, but you can't really control the matchup because you don't know where people are falling. But when you talk about like, is Denver going to be the three seed, the four seed, are the Celtics going to play Philly in the three, six, or are they going to play Indiana? It's like, ultimately it doesn't matter if you're the lower seed. Cause you can just go into the, you know, there's no home court. You don't have to win a game seven in Boston. So why, why I, is everybody obsessed with relegation? Like I get the concept of it and the idea that last game of the season in soccer, where you go, if you guys end up on the wrong side of this, you get dropped down to a different league. I just think the people that love soccer and love relegation are the same people that are so pro player. Like, do you really want to argue for 120 less jobs? <laughs> like, what do you, what do you want to well, have? We can put them in the, it's never happening. The G league, put them in it's the never G happening. League. It's never happening. The I owners like are never going to vote for it. I like having the filet mignon league. I like having the best 22. I like ha not having the other eight teams. Were you locked you into Wizards Nets? No. I wish neither of those teams were here. I mean, do you, honestly, do you miss the Knicks? Are you bummed no, I out don't. that they're not no. involved? Are you, but, are you bummed out you couldn't see Mitchell Robinson? But I, I think that's such a, a, a predictably critical thing where when the Nets and Wizards were there, well, granted, look, the Nets are the AC right now, but they're like, why are the Wizards there? Why are, you know, why are you doing this? And you just go... 
Well, because if you had left them out and the Wizards go, hey, mathematically, we're still in this thing, as absurd as it may seem, like you can't just tell us we can't come to Orlando. So those are little, those are just minor things that like when I look at debates about it, I go, there's no debate for me. Like, who cares? They're there and they're not going to be there very long. And we just keep moving on because the rest of the basketball has been uh, incredible. Like, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what I expected. I, I guess, you know, sometimes you think like, are they going to be running around and use pennies where like one of the numbers got ironed wrong and it's stuck then the nine is melted to itself. And, you know, there's, there's people off in the corner with like warm buckets of water because people can't find ice. Like, no, it's been all first class considering the circumstances. I can't imagine. And I've said this on my podcast, like if it doesn't work out and one team for whatever reason gets exposed and then they're eliminated and we have all these bad headlines or whatever, as far as putting themselves in the best position to, to pull this off, it's unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable what this league has done. It's also rejuvenated a few of the teams, right? Like Milwaukee, right before the pandemic, Giannis got banged up. They were kind of, you know, they had the one seed clinch. They were kind of on autopilot at that point. Now that now they look like the Milwaukee from the first part of the season, even though they lost tonight. Um, a couple of the other teams, like Portland, has been completely reinvented. Nurkic looks awesome. And we'll talk about them in a little bit. But yeah, but Portland looks you know, they might not make the playoffs and yet you could make a case. They're one of the best five or six teams in the West, but there there's been a couple of teams that needed it. I thought Boston was going to be one of them. Cause it'd be like, Oh, Kemble will be back. You know, his knee will be fine. And it, meanwhile, he's still somehow on a minutes limit. But, um, I think if you're just talking about a quality of play offensively, really high level, like some of the stuff Lillard was doing in those two games. He had these quarter long stretches where that's about as well as I've ever seen him play. You know, the TJ Warren just annihilated the Sixers the other night. He had career high. I think it was 53, but I, it's just the kind of stuff that when the act, when the real season starts in October, guys aren't coming out of the gate, usually playing like this, you know, where it's like, man, Oh my God. And that, and it was all over the place. I didn't, didn't you think you'd see more people that were like, man, that guy hasn't worked out for four months that Tatum was the only one where it looked like he hadn't touched a basketball in forever. And then he was awesome today. Yeah. I mean, Tatum's scrimmage games and in the first couple games, you're like, man, you know, that you'd heard rumors about, hey, he doesn't have a basketball hoop at his house. You're like, you know what? You could probably get access to one. Mm. I understand there's some limitations here. And then you'd watch and go, actually Harden, I thought looked a little beefy. But it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter considering what he did to close out uh, against Dallas. Um, how about I, you know, that thirty? How about that thirty-three footer he hit? Did you see what, the last minute of that regulation? Yeah, yeah. He I watched a shot the whole from game. the hash mark in the flow of the game, and as he was taking it, I was like, "Not a bad shot." They were like down yeah. six. It's like, yeah, he can make that. No, he's he's. It's just so like, look, I've done my hard and rants before, but it's not like I don't appreciate what kind of shots he can make. And think about that game. That game, <laughs> Dallas had 85 at the half. Their offensive efficiency, if you just went by like per 100, was 145 mm. in the first half. 145. Dallas has the best offense in the NBA at like 111, 112, I think, during the regular season, which I think still surprises some people. And Houston still ends up winning that game. So some of it's great offense. Some of it's guys, I think a majority of it, Bill, you're right, that Whatever the standard was, 
there's there's very few people that just said screw it and didn't care. They were professionals about it. They took it very seriously, which I think is what everybody wants that cares about this. And it just shows that you care about what's in front of you. Like if you're the Clippers, if you're five or six of these teams in the West, you know, you have a real chance here. You have a chance to do something. Maybe it's less teams. It's obviously less teams in the East, but there's also defensive things that have happened. And, you know, I know we have a long time here to go through it, so I'm not going to just do a five minute monologue on bad switching. But there's some real confusion, and you can see the difference with like Toronto against LA last night, where they knew exactly who they wanted to be defensively the whole game. Like they had the rules in, and Philadelphia in their game against the save, Pacers. Save Philly. I want to hit them okay. later. But I mean, that's just another example on the other side of it, where you go, none of you guys even know what you're doing right now, at least on the high screen. There were a couple teams that looked like they hadn't practiced yet. It was yeah. like for, first game. For, it, it was almost like uh, when a high school team comes back for the first day of practice and they just, there's a bunch of new kids and it's just a disaster. <laughs> That's what Philly looked like. And Philly has good defensive players. I mean, they have five on Simmons. They, they, it's not a team TJ Warren should be scoring 53 points again. Uh, we're going to take a break. We have a lot to cover on this. So back in one second. Hey, with the Home Depot, decorating your home is now easier than ever before. Start by heading to homedepot.com where you can shop everything for every room, browse thousands of furniture pieces and decorative accents to fit any style, explore bedding and bath linens, kitchenware, small appliances, all at the right prices, whether you're going for a brand new look, a seasonal refresh, or simply a few finishing touches. The Home Depot has all the pieces you need and the best part. Shop today and you will get free and flexible delivery with easy returns. Plus for a limited time, you can save even more on the styles you love when you use code BILLSIMMONS10 at checkout. I went there. I wanted a Keurig. I just did. I already have a coffee machine, but, you know, late afternoon, you want the little quickie cup. And I went to homedepot.com and I got an awesome Keurig. And then it suggested the little, the Green Mountain one cup thing. So I got those too. And it was awesome and it was super easy and they shipped it right away and that was it. Here's some great news. The Home Depot offers free delivery on select items, $45 or more, which I took advantage of. But now for a limited time, you get 10% off the styles you love when you use code BillSimmons10 at checkout. Valid on select items online only. Find exactly what you're looking for and more at homedepot.com slash decor, D-E-C-O-R. All right. One thing I was, I mentioned on my Thursday pod, just wanted to hit it again. Cause I was bummed out. I had to turn in my entire awards ballot and not count these eight games. I get it for all rookie and even all defense stuff like that. But I really felt like MVP, all NBA, those three teams were up in the air for me in a lot of ways. And I, I kind of wanted to see these eight games. Like I put Doncic on my MVP ballot. I didn't put Harden on if Houston goes like eight, no in this bubble and Houston rises to like a three seed, I would have wanted to account for that in my ballot. I really would have. And I, I just think they made a real mistake. I admittedly care about it way more than most people, but I just thought it was so weird that these eight games don't matter for award purposes. Yeah. But when you have a vote, like you should care, you know, it's a really important thing. I think it's an honor to even have it. So I get, you know, there's, there's so many pods we've done before. We're like, Hey, I want to do kind of my updated all NBA teams. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I know you've put so much time into it. And there's been a couple of times where it will be like last minute, be like, Hey, I'm doing, I'm like, man, I need like a few hours to take it as seriously as you do to hang on that conversation. So who did you do? Cause I didn't, I didn't catch it all. 
I imagine you have Marcus Smart, first team All NBA and first team All Defense, right? I did, and I had uh, I had him as MVP, <laughs> Coach of the Year, <laughs> the trifecta. Oh no, he Coach of the Year too. All no, right, but, who's uh, give me Lowry, give me your quick though. Go ahead. Well, I'll give you like a good example. I didn't have Lowry third team All NBA, and I really agonized over it, him or Simmons, and I thought Simmons defensively. And as a two-way guy, I just thought I just thought he had a better season. He was healthy the whole year, all that stuff. And I went with him like by a thumbnail over Lowry. And then after one game over the weekend, I was like, ah, I'd flip that. Like if it goes this way for the next day, Toronto looks so good in that Laker game. And they're just running on all cylinders. And Lowry's their best player, isn't he? And Lowry's their best player. And I really <laughs> wanted, I, I mean, part of the problem is the league has too many good players right now. So you, the MVP ballot, you only have five picks. Davis wasn't on my ballot. Harden Who was your ballot? On my, ba my ballot was Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi, Jokic, Luka. Okay. God. But so no. It seems nuts to not have Harden on it, but I mean, if you I really want to What's be weird is I put Harden first team on NBA and I put Luka second team on NBA. So I, I kind of split the, split the vote on that. I just thought Luka was more important to Dallas throughout the season, whereas Harden had that, which we talked about in detail in our pod. The last 20 plus games for Houston when Westbrook was the best player in the team. Yeah, where Harden wasn't as good. Yeah. But now you saw, you know, Houston, they had these two huge come from behind wins. When we did that last podcast right before the pandemic hit, Houston looked like they were running out of gas, right? We were like, well, not sustainable. You can't keep playing like this. They got out rebounded by like 30 today. It didn't matter. They somehow won. I think we're going to change our opinion on Houston. How many more times over the next 12 weeks? I'm going to say like eight. 12 weeks? I don't, well, well, we have 12 weeks of, of reference from Because I think once they run into the Clippers, I mean, would you pick them to beat the Lakers? I, I think, like you asked me to do the third best team exercise. And I don't want to do that now. Can I give it a greenie setup? Only if I can give you one because I've missed. So can you, you do, do it? Do you want to do a group? Why don't you do the greenie setup for this segment? Right. Beach erosion. The next great coastal dilemma. And are the Rockets the third best team in the West? <laughs> That's next. Beach erosion. Beach erosion is an issue. Houston is now our four seed, just FYI. They've, yeah, they've well, jumped like, two spots. There, there is a whole tapioca pudding. Denver is 43 and 23. Houston, 42 and 24. Utah, 42 and 24. Oklahoma City, 41 and 24. And Dallas is basically too far out. So... I think the team out of the, we'll get to the question in a second. I think the team I would want to play out of the top six plus Dallas is Utah. I think that's the weakest of the seven. Would you agree or disagree? Totally agree. Uh, they, even though they had that really nice comeback with Mitchell, um, I, I just can see the frustration with Mitchell without a second score in Bogdanovich, even though, you know, Conley actually looks better than he did. He, he's looked better this week than he did yes. through long stretches. So that gives me Agreed. a little bit of hope. But can I throw a Utah theory at you? Because if we're doing this, we're, it's all part of it, right? We're trying to figure out the question is the third best team in the West, okay? Because so I went Lakers, into it, Clippers, who's third? Right. Unless you want to be really funny and go, well, I have the Clippers third, but I don't. Um, I'm going to throw a, a question to you: Is Gobert peak Dwight Howard light? So I left him off my All NBA team. Because after like the fourth piece where you had to read between the lines because it was obvious his teammates didn't really like him that much. I was like, can I just vote for Bam Adebayo? I know, I know Miami. I know they love him. I know he's valuable to them. I know they're overachieving. I'm just going to vote for him. That there's, there's 
stuff going on with the whole Gobert package, it seems like. And I think a lot of it has to do with the basketball side of it. Um, you know, I, I do think that there's a there's an issue, but it doesn't mean like there's plenty of teams that have had guys that haven't gotten along that, that win. So that's not always like the first impediment, like, hey, everybody needs to be best friends. But Gobert goes from project to, oh, my God, this guy is incredible what he does defensively. And then the screens, the number of screens the guy sets, all these plus minus numbers that we've all talked about now for years. When you really dug into like Pete Gobert, you're like, I can't believe this is the kind of actual statistical backup to, to how impactful this guy is in such a great way. But you become that guy and, you know, you're staring at big money, which he's going to get anyway. Um and you want to be more a part of the offense. Like the joke is that all big men don't actually love basketball, right? That's always the joke that we always hear. And it's like, if you're going to keep the big guy happy, you got to give him some more touches. Yeah, but here's He's the thing. But we have the blueprint for how this should work for Gobert. It's 2011 Tyson Chandler in Dallas. Play defense, set some picks. But he's too young. He's not there yet. And that's my point. Like the Dwight. That's who he is, the, though. That's right. who he needs to be. So you're answering my question. You're saying yes, because peak Dwight was this incredible force. But it's like, well, look, if I'm like the guy, which he isn't because Mitchell's the guy, but Dwight's like, I need more of those touches late in games. And Stan's like, you don't you don't have any moves, man. You don't really have right. any moves. And I think yeah, with Gobert, up. I think with Gobert, all the cleanup stuff is great. But the number of times that he loses the ball or he waits and he stalls, I just think that that drives those guys crazy. And now with Mo, no Bogdanovich to kind of balance the wing scoring, even though there's some other players that I kind of like, that's why I just, I had really high hopes for Utah. And now without Bogdanovich, that's the team that everybody wants to play right now in the first round. There's another piece. Other than they Memphis. lose Bogdanovich where Conley can make up for some of that. But yeah. their bench, their bench is just bad now. Their, it's their all Clarkson. Bench was, they yeah, their bench Clarkson was teetering on not being good, but then now everybody moved up a level. So now you're basically riding the Jordan, Jordan Clarkson roller coaster, which he had some good moments for them after the trade, but I don't he trust has. him. No, he definitely I, he has. can't be your only guy, you know. Um. Anyway, all right. So, here's who I have for, uh, in my opinion, the third best team in the West. I think it's Oklahoma City. I think if my life depended on it, I'm using that corollary of what team do I trust the most, especially in this bubble situation. I think I trust them the most. The Houston thing, I still can't get out of my head when they basically careened into the guardrail those five games before the pandemic when you know you even saw it today they fell behind on the friday game they should have lost there was some stat it was i think the third time two, in 700 two no, times in 720 games somebody yeah, was down teams, seven in the last minute teams down seven with what 45 seconds to go were two and 711 yeah so that's total fluke but they did come back today against this Milwaukee team now Milwaukee didn't have blood so they were really missing yeah, but they don't a point have guard. No, but I thought they were really missing a point guard in the last thought, four minutes, kind of settled thought, everyone down. It looked like DiVincenzo wanted the two seed most of this game. <laughs> he was bad. He was um, so bad. But um, OKC, the guards, the way Chris Paul's been playing, the way they looked uh, this weekend, uh, they had the Adams thing. Robertson coming back, if they can get him you know, as a rotation guy, by the time we get to about five weeks from now, they're feeling good about him. I just like their team. I think they're really hard to play. They really bring it and they're unconventional and they can put up different lineups and stuff. And, and I think the irony of all of it is they make this Paul George trade. It seems like they've completely tanked the decade. They're just going to move into this other direction with all these picks. 
And yet you could argue they're in a better spot than they were with, with Paul George, with SGA and with Gallo, um, being able to get Chris Paul, who I feel like they're going to trade at the end of the year. So this feels like an all time rental to me. I just like the team. And I think without in the bubble with no home court advantage, that's, it's just not a team I would want to play in a playoff series. I wouldn't want to play them if I was the Lakers. Cause what we saw in that Toronto game, if you have multiple guards that can create shots, you have somebody in the middle who can at least put his hands up and bang bodies around and make it a little bit hard for Davis. And you have 18 fouls to throw against LeBron. That's how you beat the Lakers. Okay. You know, what's funny is I went into this when this was the homework for tonight where I was like, I think I'm going to pick Oklahoma city for a lot of things. You just said three guard lineups to close three ball handlers that can all get to the rim. I think Schroeder's finally hit that point. That's so hard for young players where it's like, look, if you just accept that you're never going to be the best player on the floor, I'm not saying lack confidence, but if you can just accept you're no longer the best player on the floor, you can have a really nice second half of your career. And he's somebody who I went from not really liking that much when he thought he was the guy, kind of the Reggie Jackson syndrome where then yes. he's fit in perfectly. And Shea is going to be a multiple-time all-star when he has his own team. And I think all of us would want a Steven Adams on our team. And then I think we always thought somebody was going to get hurt, whether it was Paul or Danilo. Like, you're like, when, when are one of these guys going to get hurt? And now they're healthy. They have the best net rating of any team in the NBA in the fourth quarter, and it's a massive number. They're like a plus 8-2 yep. in the fourth quarter. But here's what you I'm going to tell is? you wrong. It's, it's, it's a professional basketball team. They, they know what they're doing in the last five minutes. I worry about their small line. Well, Chris Paul is the reason why they're so good in those closing games, but I worry about what their small lineup will look like. I've liked what Lou Dort has done because I think he's just a dog. He's like out there to fight, but he's a bit of a two dribble guy offensively. And then the collection of the rest of those wings, like there's little moments. They're all kind of mini Jeff Greens where I'm like, man, look at that play by Baisley. And then it's like, oh, has he been out there for 20 minutes? Oh, yeah. So like they kind of have a rotation, but I'm just going to tell you that you're wrong and that it's Houston. I went in trying to say it was Oklahoma City, but I think it's Houston. The defense has not been a problem. It's really not. Like, I'm not saying there's this great defensive team. They were middle of the pack. The rebounding rate numbers are atrocious for them. Um, they are, if you look at rebounding rate, they were like 25th in the league. And if you go since they went small, they're last. And it hasn't hurt them because, like, look at that Milwaukee game tonight. They set up, you know, Brooke Lopez historically sets up probably too far in the post anyway. And yep. when he got deep, he got results. But people aren't really posting him. I mean, Dallas had this big lineup against him a couple nights ago, and yet Dallas still kind of played five out with Luka. They played small with big players. And so even though the defensive numbers aren't through the roof and I worry about those rebounding numbers, here's where I kind of decided, you know what, I can't pick anybody other than Houston. Records against teams over 500 of those top teams in the West. Lakers are 18-11. and 11, Clippers are 17-12. and 12, Houston is 16-11. and 11. I think that's 17-11 and 11 now with the tonight, tonight's win against yep. Milwaukee. And OKC's 10 and 17. That's a, that's a good stat. I like that one. Yeah. So can we, can we agree Houston has the highest ceiling for the three seed, but OKC is the safest pick? There's still stuff that scares me about Houston. And as I've admitted to everyone in that city, you know, we all know how I feel about watching them play. <laughs> but... I have to give them credit. Their defense tonight against Milwaukee, I mean, how many times does Milwaukee keep, keep driving through these guys and they keep batting the ball away? So, you know, it's not like they lit it up from three. They just took a million of them. They didn't turn the ball over. I think Houston, yeah, I think the Houston ceiling thing is the thing I like the most about them. And I don't want to just make it the hockey playoff analysis where it's like, man, if they just get hot, like the defense isn't killing them. And I, I still think whenever we expect these bad matchups, big versus small, it doesn't burn them 
the way you think it should. And I think it screws teams up sometimes, too. Now, look, Anthony Davis, semi-game series, he better have his ass in the block going to work against those guys and just making it hell for him. Well, it felt like Porzingis could have done that on Friday night. I think he still had like 38, but it seemed like he didn't want. He to. just stood on the block. He just could have had a five foot jump hook over and over again for the entire game if he wanted it. Yeah, you know, look, I, I get PJ is going to get in your way, and you know, Lopez trying to back down PJ Tucker. You think Budenholzer would have been like, "Hey, guy, you're not moving him. Like you're just not moving him. You have to set up early, and you have to go as soon as you get the ball. You've got to make a decision. You got to make it quick. So, yeah, over the course of a series, there's still some some limitations I think they could possibly have, but. And I'm not even doing this as a recency bias thing. Like, I went through it thinking I was going to pick somebody other than Houston, but when I saw that record against teams over 500, like, they can hang. They can hang with these teams. I'm not picking them to come out of the West, but, um, you know, considering what's happened with Utah and then Denver with all their injuries, so it's probably not fair to make a, a full statement on who they are, but um, and no, they I don't like seem, Houston better. Denver has the luxury of it doesn't really matter where they end up with seeds. I think if... You know, if we had a home court advantage situation like with the normal way we have a season, Denver would be really nervous about dropping to four because they'd have to see the Lakers in round two. But now it's like, all right, whatever. We just need to get our guys healthy for four rounds. I have a Houston comment. And this was something that was happening the last couple of weeks before the pandemic hit. Westbrook's offensive rebounding and how he has figured out when Harden has the ball and he's Harden's doing his thing and it's the six second and neither he's going to do the drop back or he's going to do whatever he's going to do. Westbrook seems to have mastered knowing exactly when Harden is going to do what he's going to do and taking this angle. I, I, I don't even, it's almost like watching a pass rusher trying to get to the quarterback. Who's just figured out like, I'm going to do this and I'm just going to hit him in the back and strip him for a sec. He's going in. He's getting these crazy off balance of. I don't know how many times I saw it over the weekend. It was at least four, where I'm, he, I'm trying to think like, one. what other guy in the league has those? Yeah, his his step with purpose, you know, is is always been something. He's just over his career. He's getting rebounds that no other guards have ever gotten in the history of this league. Do you feel just, like he's he better? I think this is the best version we've ever seen of him. Well, the, the great thing is, is that he's not making every single basketball decision for 40 minutes. Yes. And that's a plus because he can get so frustrated because he's so intense. And that was one of the things, you know, look, I mean, look, this is real. They got bounced in the first round with him running the show every single time. And right. that team th that lost to Utah, like that shouldn't happen. You shouldn't lose the rookie Donovan Mitchell in that series in the first round. Was it two years ago? And, you know, that was, that was a problem. So now to know that, Hey, all this room is going to be wide open. I, you know, he was making, I mean, it was bad. Like they got rid of DiVincenzo defensively. There were times where Marvin Williams got stuck one-on-one -on -one with Westbrook and Westbrook's like drooling going, I don't know how I want to score. And then they brought DJ Wilson in to add some lane. He doesn't even play anymore, really. And, you know, DJ gave up an offensive rebound because he couldn't even comprehend that Westbrook would have that energy off a cut behind him. And then Wilson does the classic, like, my bad. You're like, no shit, you're bad. That was a huge, huge offensive board you gave up because you just you just assumed it was a guard that couldn't get around you. It was a terrible rebound to give up. I think it's really hard for a guy to reinvent himself when they turn 30 and after. Because I think he's 31 now. Hey, what he's done... I think if you look at him almost like an NFL running back, he was like your typical high usage priest homes in the early 2000s kind of running back, right? Where he's going to have 350 carries, 
nine, you know, 90 receptions, whatever. And just the whole offense revolves around him. But then you get to the playoffs and somebody like Belichick comes along. They're like, yeah, we'll just take that guy out. We'll win. He's, he's kind of changed himself into more of an Alvin Kamara type running back, right? Where he's, it's like maybe 20 carries a game now, but now he's doing all this other stuff and he's got the little wheel route coming out of the backfield and the offensive rebounds. And, um, I don't know. I just think it's pretty cool. I think usually guys are finished products by the time they're like 28. You don't see in the NBA, like somebody kind of rethinking what they do. And I, I'm really surprised that he's been this happy being a second banana too. I mean, technically he's one B and Harden's one A, but, um, I didn't think he had it in him. I gotta be honest. Think about these years in Oklahoma City, okay? 25 year on, 32% five attempts a game from three, under 30% four attempts from three, under 30%, he's a 29 ish rounded up for. He took seven threes a game one year and he actually hit 34%, which is weird. And that might have been the worst thing for him because in the next two years, he's at 29% again at four and almost six attempts per game. And so he hasn't hit it from three this year, but he stopped. I mean, he'll throw one at you every he now and then. He stopped about I think, six weeks in. Yeah. When he's decided. You know, you don't make these anymore. I asked somebody that used to be with the Thunder, I said, what, you know, what, could you even say to Westbrook, like, hey, that 30 footer you took, like from sideways that you almost broke the rim. What, what was the thought process there? And you just, Westbrook's a stubborn guy. And he would just go like in the moment, you know, that was the right shot. And you'd go, well, you know, we're on year five of 29% here, man. And the league average, I think, used to be like 33. I think it's 36 now. And you can't keep taking those shots. And so now, because of Harden, because of trust, and the fact that he was shooting it. I mean, his first two months is the worst Westbrook we've ever seen of his career to now go to seeing what he would do in these switches. Reinvention. Yeah. it's it's Your uh, boy Barkley was the first guy who was just volume three is not making any of them. And they're like, wow, he's almost making one third. It's like, yeah, but... The defense is delighted every time he's taking one. No, of these. And no, Dwayne Wade was, was like that. That was all Iverson. mental with Barkley. Barkley was just doing that to make to keep you honest. <laughs> Can I give you one more team? My third favorite team for the three seed. So wait, you have you have three rankings for the number three possibility in the West. So I have Houston as highest ceiling. I have OKC as safest bet to do damage. Houston yeah. as highest ceiling to do damage. And then I have Portland as my other one. I think Portland the floor is, the, is yours. The port, but I think Portland's a wild card. They got back Nurkic and Collins. It's shocking how much better they are than they were four months ago. And the, I don't know what happened with this Gary Trent Jr. I know he was playing 20 minutes a game during Did the year. Did you order a jersey today? I, I was blown away by him in the two games. Like, honestly, by the because way, just to share with everybody listening right now, I get a text from Bill that said, I think I'm going to need about 45 minutes on Gary Trent Jr. tonight. And I said, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm with you. Just let me add he, five to it. This is a team that was completely destroyed partially by their wings, right? Hazonia, who I think pound for pound is the worst player in the league. I really do. I think <laughs> he's a zero to a player. I don't know what he does well. Every time he's in the game, they, they his plus minus every game is awful because he's awful. No we need to do Mario. a better job with that. No, we need to constantly He's be updating terrible. our over 20 minute game. Like who currently holds the worst, the, He's the number, horrible. not the last what, player, but what does he do? Well, what is it? What does he bring to the table? Length. So then they bring Carmelo in who all he can do is do like pull up jumpers and that's it. Like he can't guard anybody. He's actually, he's pretty good at boxing out and grabbing rebounds. But I think Gary Trent Jr. comes in and their whole team falls into place. 
I thought Nurkic looked spectacular. I, I thought Nurkic was going to be somebody that, you know, maybe it was going to be 80% what he was. I didn't know how bad that leg injury was, but he's a hundred percent what he was. Collins is all over the map. I, every five minutes I changed my opinion on him, but at least he's a body. Uh, and, and I got to say, Dame, I don't know where he is on the top 10 players in the league list and what the qualifications are, but like, is Curry better than him at this point? Oh, come on. Let's, let's take it easy. Game to game. I'm he not, I'm not talking about Don't career. do this when Curry's missed no, the year. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not talking career. I'm not talking like playoff chop, stuff like that. I'm just talking game to game. The stuff Dame is doing now consistently reminds me of Curry. Like he's just, I just feel like he's money. I feel like he's going to get to 30 to 35 every night. They're down, they're, they're down 24 to the Celtics. And I'm not turning the game off. Cause I'm like, I know fucking no Portland's making a run. I know Dame and CJ are coming back and they did. I just think he's he's in the top eight or nine for me now. And I don't know what the list is, but I just think he's great. Some of the stuff he's doing on these drives when he's 35 feet from the basket and he's bringing whatever and he's going in, he's wading through traffic and doing these crazy full speed lefty spin layups. Like he's fucking unbelievable. I know I'm not, I'm not, I know I'm not breaking new ground. So Dave Lowe is unbelievable, but I just think he's at another level than, than he ever was. Yeah, but I, I still think, you know, when he closed out Oklahoma City and he did it against Westbrook, when Westbrook looks at Dame, is like, you're not even in my neighborhood. And you're like, actually, Lillard might be better than you. But, you know, here we are praising both of them just because of how deep, as you said, the top is. I, I wouldn't have Lillard outside of my top 10, no doubt. I, you know, the Curry thing I'm not going to get into other than I think. Well, we both ask, like Curry. Right. But if you ask Curry to say, hey, take every shot. Although, look, he had CJ and CJ offers him some balance. I don't know if you want to do more on Trent, but Trent's like 40% from three now. He takes four of them a game. He doesn't give you a ton of rebounding or assists, but he just he you actually need his toughness as a guard because sometimes you worry about defensively. Like if you come at them with big guards and it's CJ and Dame, then you really worry about it. I also thought like some of the stuff they were doing offensively in the first half, like I almost feel like Brad tests the other team with Canner. Like, hey, we like Canner's rebounding. We like his effort. Um, he's really good around the rim. He can get you know, like Canner's incredibly. He's always been good. Going back to when I watched tape of him before the draft, I was like, man, this guy's really good around the rim. But I would watch what they were doing. I'm like, how do you not test Canner in the high screen and roll with Lillard McCollum combinations or a rolling Nurkic or even Zach Collins, who I'm with you, his footwork and his hands. I fall in love with Collins all over again. And then I'm like, what the fuck are you doing out there? And, and then he's like, like fouling somebody 30 right. feet from the basket on the three. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what are you right. doing? Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, they were running like side ISOs for Mello against Jalen Brown of all people, where you go, Hey, advantage Jalen on this one. Like, as good as Mello is, and I'm not an anti-Mello guy, um, I, I was well, like, that, what are you guys doing? And then they switched it back where they're like, hey, we're just going to have Dame get into a shot off these high screens, and Boston was screwing some of it up, and, and a lot of it's Dame, too. Like I, I thought they were kind of talking it up going, there was one with Wanamaker and Thice, and Thice just went the wrong way, and you're like, what happened there? There was another one where Tatum had to chase him from the corner, and Van Gundy's like, well, Tatum lost him because he went under, and you go, he wasn't going to catch him over, and then Dame just starts pulling up for anywhere, and they're like, this isn't coverage anymore, and then Boston brought all of its pressure up to just meet him and stay two with him as much as they could because he was changing everything that was happening in the game. I am stunned. The defense is now, I mean, they're basically, they're, like Memphis was throwing traps at him. <laughs> they're trapping him 35 feet from the court. He's he can't even get the handoff from Nurkic because the guys are just there on him like flypaper and he's still navigating this whole thing. I, I, 
I can't remember a smaller guy who has had defenses more thrown at him like this other like going back to like the Iverson era would be the last guy but Iverson didn't stretch the floor like I mean the league didn't stretch the floor like this so you can't even really it's not a knock on Iverson it's just a different approach people are going into this Portland game going when Dame gets the ball 35 feet from the basket we've got a show like his James Harden yeah (laughs) do not just make him give the ball up that's why I think he's gone to another level because he's solving this whole different level of chess that teams are playing against him and he's still getting his points and he's still getting everybody else involved. We're going to take a a quick break and come back with some more. Let's take a break to talk about FanDuel. Put on your checkered pants and your most ridiculous shirt because fantasy golf season is in full swing. If you think you have what it takes to beat me, house, some of the ringer staff in a season-long fantasy golf tournament, well, you can enter the Fairway Rolling Dough Leaderboard Series of FanDuel today. Here's the deal. Enter each contest across the PGA Championship, the Masters, the Tour Championship, and the U.S. Open. So all four. For each contest, you'll have a chance to win thousands in cash prizes as the season goes on. We'll tally up your scores. We'll put you on the series leaderboard. And if you finish at the top of the leaderboard, you'll win the inaugural Fairway Roland Doe Championship Jacket, which we are currently working on what that's going to look like. Not to mention a lifetime of bragging rights Listen to the Bill Simmons podcast and Fairway Rowan podcast with Joe House and Nathan Hubbard throughout the golf season to find out how you stack up against the competition and go to FanDuel to enter the Fairway Rolling Doe leaderboard series for PGA tournament is this weekend. You have four days. Get your act together. Do it. Age and location restrictions do apply. Quickly off that Boston-Portland game. How, how many seconds do I have to complain about Boston's 2019 draft? What, 45 you seconds? A, no, man. Take as long as you want. No, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do a whole Celtics rant. Yeah, but you're gonna. So why am I going to get in the way of that? They're like one guy short. They had, I think the 14th, 20th and 22nd pick in a draft that had good guys. And they took Langford, who I still kind of like, whatever. That was a potential pick. They had the 20th pick. They trade Thiebel to the Sixers, trade down four spots and get 33. Clark goes 21 to, to OKC, who trades into Memphis. They could have just taken Clark at 20. I don't know if you noticed this, but Clark is pretty good on the Grizzlies. He would be playing yep. for the Celtics. I tell you what, get, though, scouts were get, all, all over the place. Like, people were all over the place on him. And now it's I'm just, just like, oh, go ahead. Well, Grant Williams at 22, who teams are now leaving five to six feet open in the corner. It's, it's like one of those, it's like when we were watching the Jordan games, when they were just leaving Adam Keefe open by seven feet. So he's basically unplayable. And then Carson Edwards is headed for Italy. They had all these picks and they just went, went Oh, four. And then, but then you think the other piece where they thought the Sacramento pick from last year was going to be this crown jewel lottery pick. Awesome pick. Somebody that was going to be a potential all-star along the lines of Jalen and Tatum, then Sacramento inexplicably does well. That pick ends up being 14 instead of four. It's just crazy to me that they got nothing from that draft. If you told me a year ago, if you told me a year and a half ago, Boston's getting nothing from this draft that will help them in the 2020 playoffs. I would have been like, get the fuck out of here. What happened? Did we trade all our picks for like a future pick? We, We went, we goose egged it. We got nothing. That's that's the reality. They're going into this playoffs, and none of these guys are going to be able to help them. Anyway, none that's of the end of my rant. Yeah, no. Um, 
I still I'm looking at this and going Cam Johnson over Tyler Hero. That's that's unbelievable. Um, well, that was the other one. The Celtics lost the coin flip, and instead of Tyler Hero, they fell to 14 and they took Langford. But man, I I just can't believe they didn't they didn't get anything better from that. Um, can I can I give you one more Boston thing? This will be a 20 second one. Only one more. You're gonna let people down. This is it. I'm kind of back in on Gordon Hayward, aka Mr. Education Reform. He's 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 got his mojo back a little bit. And I actually thought they made a huge mistake in the Friday game because Brad was so determined to get Tatum out of this crazy black cloud funk he was in. Hayward was doing kind of whatever he wanted in that game, but was never getting the ball. And then this game today, I like some of the stuff he did too. I'm wondering, do you think Gordon Hayward, the one player who doesn't need fans? Cause he's like, he's a fucking gamer, right? He's home by himself, just playing video games for eight hours a day. So now he's in this weird bubble with no fans. It's like Gordon Hayward is home. He's back. <laughs> Heads up for Gordon Hayward. I'm, I'm afraid that, well, first of all, you know, now that we're in year three of this thing. Um, yeah. And it's not a bad signing. I, I just, I will argue that with anybody. No, he fucking you sign got hurt. Gordon Hayward. Yeah. You sign him and. But then to have the development of not only Tatum and then getting Kemba, but then Jalen Brown turns into this guy where, you know, Tatum and Brown, even with my buddies, they're like, how come you're so much harder on Tatum and less on Brown? And I go, well, because I think Tatum has a chance to be something I don't think Brown can be. Yet there are moments where like Brown closed that game out against Portland because he's just he's probably the tougher of the two mentally, you know, like Tatum. And I don't want to make too much of the Tatum scrimmages in some of these early games because he was really good, uh, especially in the first half against Portland. But yeah. when Tatum floats, it feels like he's almost floating out of the game a little bit. I never feel like Jalen's floating, like no matter what. I always feel like he's kind of locked in. But you add that development of two other wings that kind of play your position to Gordon Hayward, like we were never going to get the version of Gordon you wanted just because of limited opportunities, on you know, because of the roster too. But I'll ask this. If you're going to go full pirate, don't you have to be a little more aggressive? Because if you're going to go with the pirate look, I just feel like it almost raises our expectations of what you're going to be like as a player if you're going to go that kind of, you know, swashbuckling mustache. You know, I agree. And I I've been did. very open about it over the years. Uh, Toronto fans are going to be mad that we didn't, uh, we didn't have Let's a nice little jerk session about them. They looked awesome. I'm going to throw this at you. Is that the worst possible matchup for the Lakers in a seven-game series? Multiple ball-handling guards that they have to account for. Lowry is just, they don't have anyone on the roster to cover him. Toronto has multiple dudes to throw at LeBron who are athletic and can make him work. They're not going to start him down, but they'll make him work. And then size to throw at Davis. And a better coach. And Vogel's a really good coach. I think Nick Durst is the best coach in the league. Yeah, that's that's yeah. I was actually thinking about that today because I go, well, there's some things in that Lakers Toronto game that I couldn't figure out what LA was doing. But I'm I'm not an anti-Vogel guy at all. But I just you know it's always going to be advantage nurse, and the rest of the league will tell you that. Like this, the rest of the league worships nurse. And when I would talk about tiers of teams, I was always surprised at how many people in front offices would include Toronto as the fourth team. Hmm. And there's a couple teams that were like, yeah, maybe you're right or whatever. I go, well, isn't isn't it the tier of the two LA teams in Milwaukee and then the second tier starts with Toronto or whatever? I guess it just still seems unfathomable that they're going to have a chance to come out of the East. But I think we all have to accept it because you're right. The The depth with them was something we noticed last year where you're like, you know what they did? They built a team where seven or eight guys are all comfortable with the basketball in their hands. About the only player they play in the rotation that you don't expect to be able to create his own shot at the end of the shot clock would be Rondé Hollis Jefferson. But they went small with him 
They can throw two different bigs at you. OG was like right up into LeBron, and no one's going to shut LeBron down. But no, you just got to make them work. Right, and what I loved about their defense is they had pressure on the ball right after half court with it. And it's almost like the Lakers, it's like a pickup game. You're like, are you guys going to be these fucking guys? Like, you're going to, you're serious? And it's like, no, no, this game counts. But you know we're what, here though? to beat you. If, if LeBron is going to handle the ball as much as he's handling it, you have to do that. You have to look for every little edge you can to wear him down, even by 2%. And they have the guys to do it. I thought it was interesting from the box score. Um, and it was, and when I was watching it, it's how I felt. And then I looked at it. They basically played eight guys. Um, Toronto did. I like teams that are like, here's our eight. These are our guys. We'll mix and match whatever. We have our crunch time five. These other three guys will come in and that's it. We're not trying to figure out who we are. We know who we are. We, these are our best eight guys. And we'll play a little Hollis Jefferson. Might grab one of these other guys for five, six minutes. But yeah, we'll throw we this at you to go yeah. small to show it to you, which was frustrating, I think, from a Lakers standpoint. Because I think the Lakers' problems in that game were fixable. Where, you know, you know, why why are you letting JaVale and Dwight get these good spots, you know, closer to the basket, even though Anthony Davis can do all these different things? They were trapping Anthony Davis like crazy, and Anthony Davis is smart enough that he's not going to force things and he's going to make the right pass. But then you're like, you didn't take a shot in the first half. Like, man, that can't happen. And then when it's Rondé Hollis Jefferson in as the five and, and Davis had a few, there was like a few minute stretch there where they let that lineup sit there and they didn't even take advantage of that. So I know I interrupted you there for a little bit, but I just, those were little things I was looking at watching that game going, these are fixable for LA, but they got to be, they got to make this quicker. Like they've got to understand this a little bit quicker because it just, it felt weird that Davis was such a non-factor just because of the trapping. I still, I, I obviously not counting out LA. Cause I, cause of the two guys, but green, like green was zero for seven in that game. And we've seen this with green green's not reliable hundred percent of the time. He's almost like when he's playing well, it's the added bonus, but I don't feel like you can count on him for four straight rounds. He's going to have games like the game Saturday night over seven Caldwell Pope played 30 minutes in that game. I think that's a real problem because I think he is below but he's average. Their best sh- but he's their best shooter. Like, if you look at the three-point percentages, he's, like, right at 39, I think, 39%. But would, so do you think he's an average player, or would you say he's below average? I'm saying there's... A- I think he's average, of- but I think he's needed because he's another spacer of the floor. Like, think about this. This team is the one seed in the West, and because of everything that's happened, they added Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith. And they well, made play. done. Now, so th- that brings about our next point. Deion Waiters... The good news is he actually looked good in the first game and okay in the second game and might actually be able to give them a little irrational confidence guy off the bench. The bad news is they're relying on Deion Waiters. And I actually think they need him because it's just a lot of... uh, Kuzma, I think they've figured out how to unlock him at least a little bit. And he's their third best player. But the 4 through 12 is, is... pretty sketchy and the fact that they don't have that Avery Bradley piece where it's like oh here's a game where the other team has a really good offensive guard here's a game where we'll play Avery Bradley a lot and we'll put up with whatever happens offensively but we know we're getting defense out of them they don't have that piece now and I I don't know I think it's a beatable team but that but my bigger point is I think all these teams are beatable I think the Clipper, I think everybody has some sort of a flaw where you look at them and go, man, well, they, that's not great. But if you go down the line, you could say that about every single contender we have. Well, that's really been the thing now for about two years, right? Because post-Golden State, 
you know, we kind of knew what to expect. And then we also had a Cleveland or really we had a LeBron run for eight years. So we actually, but you didn't before the, before the injuries though, you didn't feel that way about Golden State last year. Did you? I still felt like they were, it's like, wow, those four guys, it doesn't really matter. They're still the best. No, that's what I'm saying is that we're on the same page here is that we, we became so accustomed to the predictability of LeBron against Golden State that this is this weird two year season now where, you know, whenever it's new, it's it's hard. You know, there's still reservations I have about Milwaukee. And Van Gundy was pointing it out tonight during the broadcast. Like, you know, when you are kind of this space and three heavy, and they also give up a lot of threes, like that that was a weird loss for them. I, I thought that was kind of a weird loss when you're up 112, 104, which is a couple minutes to go, and that's what Houston could do to you. Um, Toronto, you never thought this was going to happen. I mean, I'm supposed to somehow buy into Philadelphia when they're the sixth seed all year, and they still look screwed up, even though Embiid has a monster Save game. Save it. Save it. That's the I know, I know, I know. But then, you know, you go back to the Lakers and we were really high on the Lakers before this this whole thing. Remember, we were starting to do those things where you're like, man, you know what? I might just trust them the most. It's Davis. It's LeBron. Like, why are you going to make this complicated? And then I look at how he matches up against the Clippers. His shooting numbers are the worst against the Clippers of any team he's faced this year. His his field goal percentage, his three suck too against him. It's not the lowest, but he has the lowest overall field goal percentage against any team against the Clippers, and it makes sense because they've got the two wings, and when Beverly's there, you can throw it at him. And I think if I'm a Clippers fan, I'm going, look, I get it, Anthony Davis and the matchup and all that stuff, but no Trez, the Lou Williams situation, Beverly not starting the game, and they're throwing some other minutes out there. Yeah, so the Clippers fans are are not looking at that one the same way, but you're right. Like I could talk myself in and out of all of this because it's still – we don't have one group here out of any of these top teams, however many as you want to name. We don't have one group that's ever proven anything. And everybody has a team that has a certain something that could be a problem for them. And that's what we're talking about. Like uh, we were talking about OKC before. I have no idea who guards Chris Paul on the Lakers. Now, you could go the other way and go, who the hell's guarding LeBron on, on OKC? That's why it would be a really fun series. But when you when you take Chris Paul and SGA, how are you going to play LeBron, Kuzma, Davis, um, some sort of a wing, and then I guess like Caruso, or or I think Caruso's their closer until the rest of the guard thing gets finished but out. But think about I, that. Do you even like Caruso? Like I think he's okay. I think he's like, better defensively he, than he is offensively, but he's become such a crowd favorite because he's a white guy with like bad hair. Right. That can dunk so remove all that. Feet. Is yeah. he? Is he a 10th man? Is he a ninth man? Is he like, can For you them, see he's him? part of their closing group, man? I know, but, but that's what I'm saying. Take him out of this and just think about it. Like, is this somebody that's going to be in the crunch time of a championship team? Alex Caruso. Like who is, who's the worst person who's been in the crunch time of a championship team? Like Derek Fisher in 2010. Mm. The least talented guy who is closing a game for a championship team. <laughs> Richard Jefferson in 2016 no, when he no. was like old, old kind of wa- washed up, but savvy Richard Jefferson. Is that it? I, I, I he don't was even on know. your team. I think he was on your team like 12 years ago. Who? Which guy? I don't want to say his name because he's going to punch me. Who? Is it Perk? Perk wasn't closing games though. Was he in 08? I mean, their best lineup was a small lineup. Per, per, don't, don't say it to Perk. I edit this yeah, out. Per. I just I wanted I wanted to mess with you. I don't believe that. I was simply suggesting it to see what you would say, and I'm glad you defended him. Well, Perk, I Perk was better than people remember on those Celtics teams. I think people seem to think OKC Perk 
was Perk the entire time, but but Perk from 08, 09, 2010, I thought was an above average center. Anyway. He was perfect for what they needed. He was perfect, yeah. um, you know, for for the way they played because they never needed him to score. So the Lakers thing, it's weird because I don't even think Avery Bradley's that good, but I thought he brought something specifically that they needed that they have not replaced. Now, could Waiters coming off the bench as a reliable Jordan Crawford on Utah type of guy for six minutes each half be a new wrinkle that, you know, maybe that'll be a fun wrinkle compared to the defense are losing. I don't know. Okay, stay um, on the Kuzma thing, though, because they were talking him up so much in practice, and this gets back to my kind of young guy finding himself. This is not a skill thing. This is a role thing. And the first half of the Clippers game – I thought he looked lost, like really bad. And he had like a nice swing pass that led to a three. Then he hit another shot and he was better in the Toronto game. So maybe it's heading in the right direction. But, you know, the way Kuz has talked about, it's like, oh, you know, he's, he's still trying to figure out. He played 55 games. Okay. He's played 50, now 57 games, I think, with the Lakers this year. Right. And he is in that group of young guys where like, this was way easier when I was relied on. He's like he's too young, I think, to accept that you need to figure out some ways to win within the game off of these other guys. And so even when he has some of these moments, it still doesn't always feel comfortable. So this this Kuz I shouldn't even say it that way, but this Kuzma um okay. revelation, like there's all of a sudden that he's gonna turn into this guy that really helps them. I mean, maybe it happens, but it, it starts to feel more unrealistic when you're what are you asking? You're asking him to be like the number three guy every time in big time playoff games, maybe on the winning way to champ uh, way to win a championship, when for the most part, most of the season he's proven that it's just still a role that he's incredibly uncomfortable with. So we'll see. I think his when he's playing defense and he's really active, it seems like it unlocks a little something for them. But I want to point out with Kuzma, because you talked about how young he was. He's 25. He's 25 years old. He's been in the league three years. That's what I mean more. It's three years than the 25 thing. And he was like no, the leading I mean, scorer last year. He's a career 33% three-point shooter. Last two years, last year he was 30.3. This year he's 30.8. I think people seem to think he's like Robert Horry, you know, just as dead high from three. And he's just not, he's, he's not. just not, you're right. Yeah. And teams are going to leave him alone in the playoffs and make him take threes and they're going to play way off him. Um, so, you know, it, look, if they win the title, it's going to be because LeBron and Davis just bully balled everybody. And that's very, very, very possible. It's certainly something that we thought was probable heading into the, uh, when the pandemic shut everything down, I still like the Clippers slightly. Um, but I also think that Lakers are just a good, that that's a good matchup. The Clippers because of the Davis thing, Davis can do whatever he wants. There's never going to be, I don't care if Harold's there or not. They're not stopping Davis no matter what happens. So, um, I had a couple bubble favorites for you. Actually, let's take a break and then I'm going to go bubble favorites. Hey, if you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Grab your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation. You'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours if appropriate. A doctor will prescribe a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor. If you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions with Roman, 
There are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. Here's what you do. Go to getroman.com slash bill to try out a three-month supply of nightly defense for just $5. It's free to chat with the doctor. Your first order is just $5. Again, getroman.com slash bill. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. Okay, we mentioned uh, Gary Trent Jr. Mentioned Nurkic. You mentioned Jalen Brown. I thought he looked really good. Lowry was great. Westbrook, I liked all the stuff he was doing. TJ Warren. We did not mention Grayson Allen. No, we didn't. Didn't know who, we were. Who who closed with the yeah. Grizzlies in a very dramatic last second loss to uh to uh nerd basketball punchy bag DeMar DeRozan, who made a couple huge shots and won the game for the Spurs. Um, Grayson Allen closed the game and was having some moments. Is Grayson Allen going to be like a 12 year NBA player? It's starting to feel like he is. I couldn't believe like when he couldn't get any minutes with Utah, I was like, he must be bad. Right. Right. Especially Utah. They love the white guys in Utah. (laughs) You can't get him (laughs) any minutes out on the floor. And it wasn't, as we've talked about, like this Utah team wasn't the deepest team. And I would ask, about him and I was told oh we really like him we really like him which you know mm. I rarely will you get a front office to say he sucks yeah this guy so we fucked that pick up pretty bad um you're like so what's when they the made the trade no we really like him because when well, the he's... trade happened you know what I'll, I'll say this now Utah when the trade happened I was like oh yeah you know looking at it I go Grayson like who cares it was like no no we like Grayson I was like come on come on so maybe just maybe he don't he wasn't a lack of athleticism and it's not like he's really small and you know he's a credible shooter so sometimes i i have a heart like there was the longest stretch where you'd go oh this guy will be good and you're like nope and then the next big white guy comes along that can make shots and with shooting being such a like the only thing anybody cares about anymore but it's not just automatic for those guys so maybe he's he's figured it out and well, i like that really, he can go to the basket too he's not just yeah, yeah uh, he can drive yeah yeah he can drive and drive with either hand i really like Dylan brooks and he he might have cost them both of those games. Especially today, he DeRozan just took him to school down the stretch, and especially on that last play. But in general, I, I and maybe it's because we haven't seen these guys in a while, and I'm I'm just excited at basketball back. I thought Ja was at another level. Ja was going wherever he wanted on the court. I watched every minute of both of their games. Um and I, you know, he doesn't have to step back three yet. There's shots he doesn't have that he's going to have three years from now. But man, if I was a Knicks fan, I know we've talked about this before. If I was a Knicks fan and we came within one pick of that guy on top of all the other shit that's happened in the Knicks over the last 20 years, that's just brutal. I mean, they had the most ping pong balls. They had the highest percentage by far to get Zion or John Morant and they end up three. And I, I still like RJ Barrett, but I mean, Jaws out of control teams when he when he has a head of steam guys are just backpedaling like full speed because they just don't want to have their ankles broken and he's still getting to wherever he wants with either hand and jackson although jackson's not rebounding for some reason but jackson offensively he looks like he's back that team i like that team yeah i don't know if they're gonna make the playoffs but that is a really nice foundation i'd almost like to see valanciunas get out of there just to let everybody go wild and get him out of the way like, hey, you know what? I know you're talented, big, and everything, but we're just we're gonna put you in a time machine back to 2002. No, no, you know where we put him, San Antonio. It's like your time, your time has yeah. come. 
You were always You've been supposed to, to go there. Spur. Yeah. They were look. They were supposed to trade Tony Parker for him, and then it didn't happen. They, so. You remind you remind them of Tiago Splitter. They really want you, like a better Tiago Splitter. Um, so Memphis and Portland, who I think are very entertaining to watch, and then New Orleans, who people were trying to will into this eight seed, and meanwhile they couldn't guard you and me. And so the amount like, of layups cool. they. The the lay it's a layup line. It's a layup line. It's embarrassing. Yeah. So be like, oh cool. Well, Portland or Memphis will be the eight seed. And San Antonio's like, hold my beer. We would would you guys be interested in a little DeRozan and Gay and Patty Mills <laughs> in your one eight matchup? Anybody? San Antonio will not go away. It's unbelievable. The go Lakers away, are like, Antonio. good. They're like, we don't have to worry about Dejounte Murray. Like, we can just go under every single screen right now oh for God. him. Um, a little. Let me let me just do a minute here on New Orleans. Yeah, you got to imagine how they're just going to be psyched if they don't make the playoffs that they can rest Zion. <laughs> Look, we all want to see more Zion. We get it. There's a limit yeah. on the minutes. They're gonna baby the hell out of them and that's fine but when it's a game that matters for seeding for the first real game back and you can't figure out how to have him close the game and he's it's on a, the bench it's embarrassing it's just what's the point you know and i i like that whole organization and i really like a lot of the pieces of the team but there's just you know to have Derek favors catch the ball and watch everybody just do stuff while you're like are you going to do something with the basketball and then zion sitting on the bench when it's a game that you need to get in the playoffs like why are we rooting for them to get into the playoffs when they don't even seem to want to get into the playoffs and then the flip side of it is Portland on on Friday and then especially in that Celtic game today when they could have rolled over. And Portland is playing every every game like it's a game seven. You know, I don't think Lillard totally. came out. Lillard didn't come out in the second half. And they're pressing him. And they're doing a million things. He just stayed in the game. Like, he really wants to make the playoffs. I do not feel the same hunger from New Orleans. But the shame of it is um, Portland's schedule is so tough. And they just so much damage. They go into the bubble playoffs at 29 and 37. Now they're 30 and 38, but they did so much damage to themselves that first part of the year. They might not be able to recover. And it's a shame because they are one of the eight best teams in the West. And I think Memphis is Memphis is certainly better than Orlando or Brooklyn, you know, and it's just another classic West year where you have 10 good West teams and six good East teams. Thoughts and prayers, Jonathan Isaac. It was so fun again to watch him. And you have this hope that like one of these Orlando guys is going to work out and be something and um, to see Isaac get hurt. You know, that one we'll didn't see. look good. Yeah. No, that didn't look good. Um, okay. It's time. Philly? Actually, let's take a break and then we'll do Philly. Let's take one more break to talk about Blue Apron. Home cooking matters now more than ever before. And with Blue Apron, you can have peace of mind by getting fresh quality ingredients delivered straight to your door so you can cook delicious, easy meals in the comfort of home. What's better than that? Especially right now, Blue Apron takes the guesswork out of dinner and we mean more than just deciding what to eat. You can know your ingredients are being prepared and packaged with the highest attention to quality and safety. Create a plan that works for you with Blue Apron's ever-changing mix of menu options like premium, vegetarian, carb-conscious, Mediterranean, diabetes-friendly, and WW-approved. Prices start as low as $7.49 per serving, and you can schedule, skip, or cancel orders when you want. Don't sacrifice flavor. Don't settle for boring meals. Find comfort in the kitchen, in your own house, with Blue Apron. Enjoy delicious home-cooked meals 
Check out this week's menu and get $30 off across your first two deliveries when you visit blueapron.com slash Simmons. Once again, blueapron.com slash Simmons. Blue Apron, feed your soul. All right, so watching this Philly thing, which was hilarious because we're reading for two weeks about how they finally figured out their lineup with Shake Milton. Horford's going to come off the bench. They've really unlocked this. Here we go. Shake Milton has zero points in 19 minutes against Indiana. Horford was, I think, minus 76 in 10 minutes in the game. And uh, and they get torched by TJ Warren, even though, as I said earlier, they have Simmons and Thibault, two guys who you would think would be able to slow down TJ Warren. Then you have Embiid, who for I would say at least half the game was being guarded by Sampson, who's six foot seven. Jakar Sampson. St. John's yeah. Jakar Sampson. Yeah. And Embiid's like, let me get the ball 25 feet from the hoop and I'll decide what to do. It's like, you're being guarded by somebody who's six, seven, go, go close to the basket and just score them every time. It was a Brett Brown disaster. They looked terrible. At one point, Shake Moat was yelling at Embiid in the huddle, which I watched live. I was like, whoa. And they cut to commercial and it's like, wait, did they, is that, was that, was that a fight? What you, and then they come back and they're downplaying it. But, um, it's groundhog day. And I, I just, I don't get it. That team is so talented. It's such a tragedy from a basketball standpoint that that team's going to lose in the playoffs early. Okay. We need more just so we, you know, I know we, we have a time limit here. We want to get this over before the sun comes up. But I told myself as I like did the reprep, like when I'm in it, Okay, I can name everything, right? For the most part, you're the same way. All of us that are really in it day in and day out, we know who everybody plays for and that kind of stuff. If you ask me as close as I am to college football, who every quarterback was of all the power five schools, I would get so many of them wrong right now because I'm just not thinking that way. Two weeks into the season, I'm going to know everybody what the recruiting ranking was, who offered them, and then their backups because I just do my own prep on that. It's always because I just love talking about quarterbacks. So when I started ramping up again for the restart, a week or so, I'm going over everything again, okay? Because it's been four months plus a shutdown where I wasn't reading yeah. stuff religiously like we normally would be. And I looked at their roster and went, how are they the sixth seed, okay? Like, it happened again because the same thing happened. We did the preview of the entire season where you go stack up Milwaukee's roster and stack up Philadelphia's roster. Like, I can't pick Milwaukee. I can't. And then... It plays out again, incredibly frustrating. And so what I've told myself on this restart was don't have a second first impression. Don't talk yourself into something that completely contradicts what you felt about a team. Yes, some teams are going to be more amped for this. Yes, there's going to be some outcomes that we can't expect. Obviously, this is sports and it feels really unpredictable going into the playoffs. But don't completely change how you feel about a team or players just because we've seen it now for a week when we had four months off. Don't let there be a second first impression. And with Philadelphia, when I watched them in that Pacers game, again, it's Pacers, no Sabonis. Brogdon didn't even play. And the Shake Milton thing's been a nice story. He's like 40% from three. That's not who he was last year. But now all of a sudden it's all unlocked and Ben Simmons is going to be incredible, who they still stagger the Ben Simmons and Bede thing for all the people that say that's not an issue because it is an issue. And I still don't know what it's going to look like when they're closing big games. Horford's been a disaster except for certain things defensively. And I get that. I forget Tobias Harris is out there all the time, even though he had a monster game against the Pacers. Josh Richardson's not even close to being the guy that they thought he was going to be. But Milton got I for, yanked. I forgot seven. about him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I forgot right? to even mention him. I'm telling you, when you look at the roster, you go, wait, that's, yeah. how is Josh Richardson? Like Josh Richardson used to be a guy you, everybody would want on their team. 
I got to say, I can't remember one thing he did in that game. They had to put in Raul Neto to run the offense. And Neto, and I don't even know how much it was his fault. Sometimes I'm I'm second-guessing myself in some of the coverages. But I know when the players all start yelling at each other or when Shake Milton gets yanked seven seconds into the second half, they played seven seconds and something got messed up on a defensive thing. And Brett yeah. Brown's like, fuck it, you're out. Raul Neto's in. And the announcers, at least the Pacers side, they were like, huh, what's going on? But what happens it's, to that it's segment still on the jump right. about Shake Milton? I guess, we, I guess we have to delete that from the internet. It felt a little... Like, that's kind of the other point, is that I'm supposed to take the Pacers this ser- or excuse me, the Sixers this seriously, but their their prospects have improved this much because of Shake Milton? That I was seems saying like this it's a last week. You Shake are, Milton and I had, credit. He had... He played well for like four games. And they're like, well, we've we've solved this. So here's my thing with Philly. And you saw it at the end. Did you watch that whole game? Like I watched the whole game. Sun- okay. And, and that high screen thing, they couldn't figure it out. And they were getting it wrong every time. But remember, Indiana's up by like seven or eight or something. And Philly's just like, they do this crazy full court press on them and unleash their athletes. And they got like one steal. They almost got like two more steals. And it was, you're watching this, you're like, oh my God, this is the 2000 Ravens. What, what is happening? And I realized like, they just have to not worry about offense at all. Like they, the only way that they can turn this around is with their defense. Cause they have, they have size, they have speed, they have athleticism. They have like two high end guys in Thighbone Simmons. Richardson used to be a high end guy. I don't know what happened to him this year, but if they took, if they could bottle what they had in that last minute as they're like scrapping to try to come back and just kind of make that their style. And then on offense, whatever you have Embiid, you have three point shooters, like you're going to get to a hundred points. But to me, the defense is how they're going to win. And it's like, they don't even care about it until they're down 10 with a minute left. They give up 53 points to TJ Warren. Like, and think they about still, that. and they still like, didn't believe it was real. They had they kept following Holiday on these high screens, and then they would st- they would st- like a couple of shots granted from Warren are incredible. Yeah, you like go, twenty-eight footers. At some footers. point, you go, you just have to, you have to get a hand up. And by the way, that frantic thing towards the end, I think they had an incredibly stupid foul, where they, they were down a possession, and so it was, it was the thing where it was, they basically were going to have to ride it out a little bit or wait it out because you know there's always this thing depending on where the shot clock and the differential. Okay, but it doesn't mean you have to foul right away when you have to foul. And they ended up just, you go, okay, so you guys screwed up on defensive assignments. You didn't even have any idea because I think Neto all of a sudden is like, wait a minute, I'm the starting point guard. And I don't even know that it was always on him. You would <laughs> Neto's just see like these a third string guard. Yeah, and they're all looking at each other going, what the fuck? And then they're looking back at Brett Brown. And then you have this foul at the end where you go, okay, so now we're just going to foul guys at the wrong time. And it's just a very hard team, despite how a week ago I'm looking at that talent going, oh my God. Like, how is this team bad? And here's here's the funny thing. I I talked to somebody about this. Like, wouldn't Philly be better off getting the sixth seed, playing Boston, being on the other side of Milwaukee, and then maybe facing Milwaukee? Like, wouldn't it make more sense for them to tank into the six? You go, well, Brett Brown doesn't have that kind of equity. This group doesn't have that kind of equity. It can't happen. They're clearly going to catch the Pacers. And now you go, they might be, could they possibly be there by trying Right. Well, we were heading into the bubble and I even said on this pod, I was like the three, six, like Boston playing Philly and B that's going to be a real problem. And it, it was mainly because I hadn't watched Philly for four and a half months and I forgot how dysfunctional and how weirdly coached they were. I watched that game. I'm like, that's fine. If that's the three, six, I'll welcome it. We have I'm a much not better there. coach. I'm, 
I'm not much there better with coach, that. and we'll figure it out. We'll be fine. But Steven, I think, Steven Adams looked like Shaq against the Celtics. As a scrimmage. Um, if Philly just says we're going down in flames with Embiid, Simmons, Harris, and Thibault, and name the fifth guy, and we're just trying to make our bones on defense, and we'll just post up Embiid. That's what the league is kind of hoping that they don't figure out. And I was thinking, like, who did this remind me of? So Shaq goes to LA in 96. Shaq doesn't win the title until 2000. Shaq, during that whole stretch, is like 29 and 12. He is the best center in the league. Hakeem's getting a little older at that point. Robinson's starting to fade a little bit. Uh, Duncan's in there, but he's more of a power forward at this point. And every year, here's what I wrote down. Talented, expensive, awesome franchise center, poorly coached, will fold in any series. So here's how it turned out for them. 97, they lost 4-1 to one in round 2 to Utah. That was the Kobe Airball ending. Everybody remembers that. 1998, they made the West Finals. They won 61 games. Got swept by Utah. That was the series when Nick Van Exel did the one, two, three Cancun when they, when they were down three, nothing in <laughs> the practice thing and it became a big deal. <laughs> go look up, go look up Nick Van Exel, one, two, three Cancun. Lots of stories written about that. Then in 99, <laughs> the lockout year, three coaches swept in the second round by San Antonio. So a team with Shaq in his prime, in his prime, got swept in back-to-back playoff series. And you look at that now and you're like, Man, what the fuck happened? Hey, I mean, they had young Kobe. They had Shaq. They had Eddie it Jones. It seems impossible. Wait, they had Robert Horry. They had Derek Fisher. Like, Not two top 10 players. Swept? Maybe maybe two top 10 ever. Right. How did that happen? But I was there and you were there. It happened because they were terribly coached. They were dysfunctional. They had weird chemistry. The pieces didn't quite fit. Phil Jackson comes in. Kobe kind of becomes Kobe. And then it all kind of fell into place. And I wonder if Philly is like that late nineties Lakers team where we're going to look back 20 years later and be like, Oh my God, what happened? They had Embiid and Simmons. They had a $150 million payroll. How did they get swept? But I feel like that's where we're heading. I don't like them for the Celtics, uh, despite the dysfunction, but I, it's just weird. Like we're, we're supposed to keep sitting here going, well, if Philly ever pulls it out, you know, there's just this rule that I've, believed in more and more is when you have all this evidence in front of you, whether it's quarterbacks or basketball teams or relationships and you go, no, this is, this is what that person is. This is, this is who it is. We have seven seasons of this. We have five seasons of this, you know, you've known this person for a couple of years and this is how they deal with you. Um, believe them, you know, and Philly all at this point, it's just, I would imagine, I mean, even as, as brutal as Sixers fans have been to you and I over the years, Everything we've said, they feel. And that's probably what's so frustrating about it. Like, none of this is, none of this was unfair. None of it, I mean, just watching that Patriots game and going, this is where you guys are at right now with a handful of games to go before the playoffs. And I expect you just to turn it on. And they, st- I still may pick them to beat the Celtics, but I'm not going to pick them to beat grownups like Toronto right. or Milwaukee. And that's kind of like your grown up lines with Oklahoma City. The other, the other side of it is a team that isn't. They're not grownups. I don't, you know, I'd like the biggest accomplishment they have is a Kawhi bounce. Be like, man, if we had won that game, you're like, it was in the second round. Okay. Like you're, you're, you're imagining a lot of stuff going right after that shot. If you were to win in overtime, which was again, a, a dismal game. You know, they have 
two spectacular players. Simmons has these moments where like sat like Saturday, they give him the ball, you know, in that his little spot in the foul line on the left. And you kind of know he's going to go left. The defender knows he's going to go left. And then he still goes left and does that swooping lefty Dr. J layup. It's unstoppable. He's unstoppable in transition. I really like his game. He's, you know, obviously missing that one thing where he doesn't trust his own shot, but a lot of the stuff he's doing off the ball is really good. And, and same thing with Embiid. Embiid had like eight baskets in that game. We are like, oh my God, there's nobody in the league like this guy. And to not be able to harness that is embarrassing. It's really it's, embarrassing. And they, sh- it, they could have handled it by getting, I, I just think they ran the course with this coach. And I think we thought that a year ago. I think he's very well-liked and very popular. And it became that Scotty Brooks OKC thing where it's like, ah, we got to give him one more year. And you're just, you're just throwing away years. And the window is too short in the NBA, as we know. Everybody thought a year ago, okay, well, granted, we're past a year after the title, but leading up to that playoff series or multiple playoff series here in Philadelphia, I mean, I think most people are going to remember this and listening to this now, but it was just a foregone conclusion that Brett was going to get fired if they didn't do something special. And then yes. they're like, oh, wow, they kept him. And I'm telling you now, that same stuff is picked up again. But now, at least for Brett, he's just, I guess, going to get paid more um, if they go ahead and make a change. And if they were to get bounced in the first round or embarrassed in the second round in like five games and everybody's looking at each other going, what the hell? Uh, I don't know why you would try it again with everybody. And I'm not even on the breakup Embiid Simmons thing, uh, even though I've, I understand all the different arguments, the numbers, how they're better together. And, and you know, I think some of the eye test stuff is just different than what some of the efficiency is with both of them on the court, which definitely has had awful stretches and it has improved with just those two and how Horford messes the whole thing up. But um, it's... You always are probably going to lose the trade when you have those two guys. You know how you we were talking about Westbrook on offensive boards? Simmons almost does some of those offensive rebounds Agree. at his size that yeah. make less sense than Westbrook. And I'm not talking about his size as the advantage, just that he's that quick to the hoop on anticipating some of these offensive rebounds. You're like, it felt like everybody else thought it was a timeout, and Simmons is just that much better than everybody else. He looks LeBronish sometimes when he goes absolutely, to the basket, where it just yeah. seems overpowering. I really like the top four in the East, though. I. I'm a huge fan of Miami. I got to say, like, I just typed out their top nine. Butler, Bam, Dragic, Duncan Robinson, who just keeps getting better. Crowder, who in a playoff series is not going to be scared. Harrow, Olenek, who always has moments in a seven-game series. So he'll have two really good games. He might get Kendrick- some MVP votes this year. <laughs> Kendrick-, <laughs> Kendrick Nunn, who if he's your... You know, third or if fourth he's guard just in the rotation. Yeah, yeah. Considering what where you got him, yeah. And then Iguodala. Iguodala, that's right. So you have that as your top nine. You have Spolstra as the as the head coach, and you have a team that seems like they really like each other, and overachieves. And I don't know what happened with Butler with missing that practice today. I don't know. By the time people hear this podcast, there might be some story behind it, but um, you can kind of see why Butler left Philly because he was like, wow, this is so dysfunctional. I'm out. He leaves Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. He's like, I'm good. I'm going to start my own, my own little family over here in Miami. I think it turns out way better than he ever could have expected, mainly because I don't think there's any way he could have known the kind of player Bam was going to turn into this year. And the Duncan Robinson thing was just bonkers. There's no way he knew Tyler Harrow was going to be a rotation guy right away. But he probably saw Harrow like dressed at the draft and was like, eh. 
<laughs> uh, as a, they'll probably be a four seed. There's an outside chance they could catch the Celtics, but uh, I just really like that team. I think that would be hard to play. And I, and I'm just thinking in my head, like if Philly somehow got the five and we had this Miami Philly series and all the talking heads are going, I'll tell you, it worked out great for Philly. You just look at, at the talent on both sides and they, they're just a board. And it's like, we've seen this over and over again. The overachiever, well-coached team is just put on earth to beat a team like Philly. And maybe you're right. Maybe they are better off playing in Boston. I think Boston's too talented for, for this Philly team that has as many holes. I think they would lose to both of those teams, actually. The Miami matchup is really interesting because the zone numbers where yeah. once I don't have this to the to the letter here, so I, I might be I'm paraphrasing the number that I read, but essentially Miami's played more zone possessions against Philadelphia in just the games against Philadelphia combined. I think it's like over a hundred and something possessions of zone, then twenty plus teams have played zone all season long. Wow. So Spolster doesn't care. He'll go for it. And you're seeing more and more. I just love that these coaches go. And it's really kind of stupid how stubborn everybody was about it for years going, why wouldn't we just throw somebody off with zone if we don't respect certain things that we're doing? Now, maybe you get more used to it and the the surprising nature of it is gone over some kind of series. But I love watching Bam so much. And even though I worry about what he would give up defensively to battling Embiid over seven games... The idea Embiid has to chase Bam around, like that doesn't seem like it. Maybe you put Simmons on him, but then where do you put, you know, you might be putting Embiid on Iguodala. Like, I'm serious. Like, you might try to do some cross-matching there because Bam initiates so much of their offense. Uh, it's not Jokic level, but it's a trust that's along the same lines. And he he had a couple plays in that Denver game. And that Denver game is not the end-all, be-all. They're missing their entire backcourt. They're missing Will Barnes. Yeah, they're tough. missing their top three perimeter guys. Michael Porter Jr. making some cameos where I was like, oh, this is why his coach, Mal coach Malone can't stand him because Porter was screwing up all these different things and like Malone was about to lose his mind. Um, but in that game, at least for the execution for what Bam does, he's just a really difficult matchup so you can't just write him off because of the size disadvantage against Embiid because well, he also remember, Joel he, has to chase him around and he won't be afraid when Embiid does that uh intimidation thing that he does sometimes with centers that works I don't think yeah. he's intimidating Bam he might overpower him he might have 45 points but Bam will keep coming at him do you think you know the all these teams are in the bubble there's nothing to do they're basically hotel room going to the barbershop that created for them. I think they have like ping pong and shit like that. Maybe they go to the pool. These teams are just spending a shitload of time together. And I wonder for certain teams that are really close, right? Like the bucks, like that's like a really good thing. You have all these teams, these teams are getting along anyway. So you put them in that situation. It's like, that's great. Like the Lopez brothers are best friends. Giannis has his three brothers. Like George Hill's a great guy going down the line. Then you go to this Philly team where it's like, we always hear that uh, Ben and Joel don't like each other. Who knows how much of that is true, but it's the same kind of whispers you always heard with uh, Chris Paul and Blake way back when, and that turned out to be true. Um, but just in general, where you have like a semi-dysfunctional team that can't really figure out what it is. You got Al Horford's making 30 million a year. He's unhappy. I wonder being in a bubble, if it makes it worse, better, or the same. What do you think? I feel like it would make it worse. Well, at least you can always go to your room and just hide from everybody. 
you know, you're not traveling. So even though the schedule, when people were saying, oh, it's condensed, it's going to favor younger teams, all these different things, people really didn't factor in not flying for two and a half months, I would imagine is the best version of, of resting yourself. Then I don't care who True. you are. You cross, you fly across country. You're just kind of wiped out for a little while and they might have to go oh, play yeah. a basketball game. So unless you're Jalen. Yeah, he would just do it. But he, he's private jet now, right? No, Jalen just, 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 just he sleep on jets. <laughs> he might be. <laughs> uh, is he is he a private jet guy now? Um, Maybe. The fact that you're not going anywhere is is something I don't know that we talked enough about as far as the condensed schedule because the condensed schedule isn't doesn't feel as condensed when you don't have to fly across the country all the time. But no, it's a really good question because I don't. I think you could still hide from everybody, but it would suck if you were a loner. Like if you're that loner type and then you're forced to be around everybody and you're just kind of wired a little differently and then you don't really know what to do. I mean, I don't know that's going to impact wins or losses. I think the Clippers thing was maybe the only time we wondered, like, and the Lou Williams thing bummed me out because you just go, you have a chance to win a championship. And if you expose yourself to this and then you hit up the whole team and expose them to it, like imagine if that happened and you ruined the chance for a franchise like the Clippers, especially, I mean, forget any team. Yeah. Um, it's a selfish move. And so maybe that stuff's all in the past and that's all done. I, I could only see that maybe being the kind of thing that could completely disrupt a team, not even necessarily somebody testing positive for COVID, but somebody becoming, Hey, three weeks in, we're not as good. We're down two Oh three. You know, maybe, maybe it's a, a selfish act where the team ends up getting upset. I could just imagine Caruso being like, you guys are going to the barbershop again. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Yeah, cool. I'll see you guys. You guys want to get burgers later? No, they, Dudley and Danny Green are hanging out with them. It's got to have a couple of people. Well, the funny thing about doing this podcast Sunday night, now it's 9.52. We have all these games tomorrow. It's just it's never tomorrow, Monday, at 10.30 in the morning, Raptors heat. And then at 1, <laughs> Nuggets thunder. And then uh, at 3.30, Grizzlies Pelicans. It's a huge game. And then we have this random Spurs 76ers game. Tomorrow night, like Embiid might have 48 points. This might be the most dated Sixers discussion on the planet in about 12 hours. Then we end with Lakers jazz. Um, does that stuff's going to move fast? I still think we're going to have some injuries. Knock on wood. I hope we don't, but, um, to go from just ramping up like this and playing every other day with the intensity that these games have, I, I think I'll be interested to see how it affects the older players, but I'm so glad to have back. I loved all the social justice stuff. I think they did a really nice job across the board, um, hitting a balance between all these different things. Westbrook's and, interview uh, was awesome too. When he was talking about unity and everybody coming together for it, it was really cool. The announcers did a cool job. I like the plexiglass. The, the dumbest thing for me was the coach interviews. I hate those anyway, but now we have the sideline reporters with a fucking mask on, like they're, you know, cleaning up Chernobyl with the microphone from eight feet away, interviewing some coach being like, Brad, what happened there in the third quarter when Portland scored 40? Like, what are we getting out of this? And why is this happening? And do we need this? I would say no. Other than that, I was happy with everything. Budenholzer, when he does those interviews, like he's clearly learned from the pop. He's under the, the, yeah. the family tree. I mean, he's acting like a pissed off parent whose son just fucked up the amateur at the local country club. <laughs> member member who like his kid three putted and he's just had like seven gin and tonics like yeah. that's what bud is like in those interviews where he's just so like pissed off about the whole thing i and hate speak them. to your people speak to your espn people about this one they got to turn doris burke up she's had two games where when they go to the crowd noise you can't hear it's weird it's it's different than some of the other 
people that have been in the booth, like Mark and Jeff and Breen, I could hear perfectly the TNT thing. You could hear well, Stan. The, the bigger spin thing was they had countdown and the guys were all interrupting each other. It's like, why do you have four people on a studio show in different spots on some like tape delay thing? That's never going to work ever. Why are you doing that? Just pick three. Why are we overthinking this? I don't know why I care about pregame. Well, because you, you know how it is though. No, it's just because you can't, you can't it's tough to tell somebody. one of the per, one of the people on the show, hey, you're the you're the fourth most important, so now you're not going to be on the show. Like, well, we'll have a double elimination show, like in the basketball. Um, quickly, baseball. If I gave you over or under three and a half more days in the season, are you going under or over? I'll go over for days in the season, but you know, I've talked about this on my pod. Every piece of information that I had on it is that people thought it was like a less than fifty percent chance of this happening which doesn't mean you don't try i'm not in that camp i say you got to go for it you got to try uh the blame thing i'm really tired of all the different angles of, of blaming people because then it was like oh the marlins did all these things and these guys are a casino these guys are a strip club i don't know if any of that stuff is true but it it feels like everybody's so anti-manfred which i understand that we're past the personal accountability thing like you know what if you're a young guy and you want this to work and you're traveling all over the place you're going to have to make some sacrifices here. And like, trust me, college kids, that's why when I look at college football, I'm like, I don't think it's going to happen because I would, if I were a college kid, I'd go out. I'd want to talk to people. I'd want to go out and hang out. And I, I'm not going to criticize the kids for wanting <laughs> By the to way, do that because I like, know I would have done it. You're like that now at the age you're at now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been solo, man. This has been, uh, this has been, I mean, I'm pretty solo to begin with, but this is, uh, this is a pretty intense solo run for your boy. That's for sure. I was on a text thread with a couple of my high school friends, including my friend Jim Grady, who we used to go and play shuffleboard at at uh, Sam's in Porchester until like four in the morning. And I was asking him, if we were 24 years old and this pandemic was happening, how many months before we just snapped and had like a four o'clock night at Sam's? And we were, and we were like probably within the first couple of weeks. We just would have been like, fuck it. We roll the dice. I totally get it. Like when you're in 20s, you have no regard for anything. You just you just want to live your life. You don't want to be told what to do and you want to take chances and do dumb things. And we're just seeing this all over right. the world. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just I just know I'm not either. who's older, I don't want to be a total hypocrite knowing that I wouldn't want to hear from anybody. I mean, that that's the most predictable thing ever. And then when on top of it, if you're a college athlete, and let's face it, like you're a big time college athlete on this campus, guess what? A lot of girls are gonna to want to talk to you. And you know, the, the college male that goes, oh, I'm I'm not dating this semester. I'm going in my I'm staying right. in my room until this right. is all have, settled. Nobody's we have doing Iowa that. State on Saturday. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So the but college thing scares me because I don't know how they're going to pull it off, especially if students come back. I just assume it's not happening. The, the, I mean, it was so funny with the Manfred thing talking about if the players, if the players don't take this a little more seriously, the season's going to be over. It's like, well. You're putting your trust in the future of an entire season in the hands of a bunch of people who probably aren't going to make the right choices. Okay, but what was he supposed to do? And this turns into, oh, Rosillo's defending Manfred. I'm, I'm defending, if you all agree that, hey, this is how we're going to try to do this because everybody shot down the bubble thing, which the bubble thing looks a hell of a lot better now. Although I, think, in Arizona, I think they had to stick with the bubble. I, to me, I can't believe they they didn't do. But the nobody wanted to do the bubble. Apparently, well then, like don't, don't have a season. Then. then you can't do it the way you're doing it now. How much of this is impacted by this Red Sox pitching staff that you want the season to end in three days? It'd be great. <laughs> I was, 
I was power walking on Friday. I just power walk around LA because I'm losing my mind. I'm power walking the other day and I'm listening to a podcast and I look up and there's these two dudes walking in front of me and one of them's wearing a Mookie Betts Dodgers t-shirt jersey. And I just got so bummed out. I mean, it was already bad enough. I'm already hearing from all the people in my life who like the Dodgers and just say, oh my God, Mookie's amazing. I had no idea. I'm like, yeah, I fucking know. I get it. I know. I watched <laughs> him for six years. I have, I have no idea. You yeah, know, no, it's like, like, I had no yeah. idea. He was this good. Man, he's such a good base runner. It's like, yeah, I know. I, I know. Uh, but on top <laughs> he's of so it, small the, and he smashes the... And then, it, then I had one of my friends the other day was like, I had no idea he had an arm like that. Did you see the throw he made? He threw out that guy at third. I'm like, yeah, I know. He's, you know, it's one of his things. He's a 10 out of 10 at every single baseball skill. Yeah. We, we all were aware as Red Sox fans. That's why I was so bummed out. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, then, my dad is texting me, asking me who the hell this guy is every day. The Red Sox throw a starter out there. That's not named, uh, Avaldi. My dad is like actually upset about it. You would, you would I don't thought, blame your dad. Remember I had the whole five year grace period for when you win the title. My yeah. dad, there's no grace period at all. My dad's like, I'm 72. This is the worst pitching staff we've ever had. This is bullshit. I think it's the worst pitching staff, at least in my lifetime. You and I were playing that game the other day, and I was throwing some Jimmy Williams lineups at you, but still, you know, at least Mark Portugal might get you six solid. And yeah, I was telling you, I, we had that year when Aaron Seeley started uh, opening day, and I always thought that was the nadir. But the, this thing today where they had to use the opener on a Sunday night baseball game, they brought in Bryce. He was actually pretty good. He struck out the side, but um, that they just, they basically have one starter. And then Erod. Looks like the 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 worst COVID casualty of the sport. Like it, like he really had like real complications. He's out yeah, for the year. Scary. And this was the guy they were counting on as the number two thing. But yeah, rough year. And uh, and I I think it's gonna. I I've been thinking big picture about. All right, let's say this season ends after two weeks. Like just how weird the baseball reference is gonna look twenty years from now, when you'll have these. You know, Mookie Betts, 2020 season, 38 at bats. And it's just this wiped out year. Like that it's the only equivalent, I guess, would be hockey. That 06 hockey year when they just had no season. But they didn't have a season. So right. it just it's gone. Well, we're basically so, not having one right. now. Yeah, but I guess the fact that it'll technically have happened. The only thing I want to ask you about baseball is yeah. I kind of regret that Jeffrey Loria doesn't still own the Marlins, although I don't really mean that because he was just from a comedy standpoint. Yeah. Because would they put up a division banner if they never played again at two and one and won the division? <laughs> Maybe they'd be like, Hey, you got to come out next year. We're going to hang the banner. Like it's almost a sellout. It's so bad. I, I think people have been asking me like, Oh, if baseball, if this is happening with baseball, this means football won't happen. And I just feel like football's happening. And unlike what happened with the Marlins and, uh, and the Cardinals, if there's like 10 COVID people on a football team, they'll just be like, all right, you guys, you guys go over there and just bring in the next 10. Like they're, they're playing the games. Once they start, they're not giving up that money. Okay. But it, maybe this is, maybe this is the great Boston correction. You know, the city was an absolute fire. And so instead, it's like, okay, not only is the second best player in baseball going to end up on the Dodgers where you have to hear about him every day, you're going to have a staff that Pawtucket would cancel the season on. Um, and I don't want to say anything bad, but like, could Brad Stevens coach the Knicks in two years? And by the way, all the Pats are opting out on defense. 
Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe this is a big, a big correction coming from the city 20 of Boston because they were like, yeah, there's just the the mystical things that are at work here were just like it was way we overdid it. Like, yes, they were a real Calvinistic group of people, but we overdid it. We just let them win nonstop for 20 years, and now let's have them have a dude that got cut from the Reds as their number two starter and. <laughs> <laughs> Mookie will be in LA. I don't well, want to say anything about Brad. Brad would, Brad Stevens, I'm trying to think what would be the worst. Not even the Knicks. No, Lakers. he would get let go coach the Pacers. If he left the Celtics, it would be, or do, actually, he'd go to college. No, he'd go to do like North Carolina or something. I do always think it's funny how Duke fans would be like, oh, well, you know, eventually he'll take the Duke job. Like, do you really think that Duke is, like, if you're an NBA guy, you're an NBA guy. Um, I get what Duke is, but I just always kind of thought it was, a little insulting to the Celtics that it would be like, well, then, you know, he'll, he'll move on to something bigger and better like Duke. You're like, what? You're really counting out the pets? Um, no, no, I'm not. Cause the rest of the division, the rest of the division is not. The Jets just I mean, got decimated. Right. Buffalo's defense is a concern. Miami, you know what? I, I don't, I'm not writing off the Patriots and okay, I'm not it. one of those people that, you know, this Belichick tanking thing. I don't, I've no, never bought fuck into that. I'll tell you this. Had You're to buy, really not uh, buying into it. Had to buy Ben Simmons a red throwback Cam Newton jersey. Pat it's Patriot. Not, not going to be delivered till August 18th. He's the most. He's more excited for Cam Newton than any Boston athlete that has been acquired by a Boston team. Ben's a rough kid, and well, he, he, lo likes he loves video game Cam. He knows him from the video game, so he's like, <laughs> he just assumes it's going to be like the video game. What's uh, the rule on Ben swearing at home? It's uh, been broken a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> I got to tell you something that would bother you from um, an annoying, a, a an annoying Rosillo. No. So Ben's been playing a lot of 2K during the pandemic. He's really into yeah. it. And they have, okay. so they have this whole car thing and it's almost like you have to buy packs. My you little brother these, shows me all the time. So I know what it is. You get these special yeah. cards. The yeah. best card you can get is the Galaxy Opal card. They, the Galaxy Opera basically gives whoever the player superpowers. You try to get the whatever. So they put all the draft prospects for 2020. They put like Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball and James Wiseman. Those guys are in there with Galaxy Opal cards and they're fucking awesome. Like James Wiseman, it's better to have him than it is to have like Kevin McHale because, you know, he can make threes. So my son is playing these games. He now thinks these guys are going to come into the league and be incredible. And I'm trying to explain to him, like, LaMelo Ball's probably going to suck. He's like, no, no, his Galaxy Opal card's amazing. I'm like, this isn't real life, Ben. He's not going to be very good, okay? Just trust me. That's why so I never anyway. understood why Wolverine didn't stay in the UFC. Like, if Wolverine were really that way, he would have just, like, gone, why are you fighting in backwoods dive bars in Canada? Like, just shut it down. You're miserable. You don't have much of a family. Kitty Pride <laughs> is out on you. Like, why wouldn't you just go, all right, Dana, I'm going to cut to 185 and just beat the shit out of everybody. Well, that's what was, really would happen with Wolverine. Well, I'm guessing at least one of those three guys, and maybe even all three, LaMelo, Wiseman, and Anthony Edwards probably played 2K, right? So they get this card. They're probably so excited. They have this card with superpowers. It just feels like a recipe for disaster. Like, think about in 2013, if we had like, oh, the Anthony Bennett Galaxy <laughs> Opal cards out. He's fucking amazing. He's like Carl Malone. And then he gets into the actual league and he's just hot garbage. Yeah, that's not cool. Should, yeah, I don't think I'm they should you. put those guys in there. I'm with you. That shouldn't happen. And Here's another thing that bothers me. You can't me. Just, not ever have played in an NBA game and then be the best player in the video game. 
Yeah, you can't be better than like Hakeem Olajuwon. Okay, but what's worse, making Bill Simmons quarterback Patriots 99 across the board and Madden out of Colgate? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's also happened. Uh, Here's the other thing that frustrates. So then they created these GOAT cards that are like higher level in Galaxy. So Ben's like obsessed with like, they only made Magic, Shaq, Giannis, LeBron. No, Barkley doesn't have one. He wouldn't. Bark, your guy wouldn't sign up for the game. There's no Barkley. Barkley's not in 2K. It's all right. Barkley's he's like, a rebel. Fuck off. He, yeah, that's right. He's, so they have the goats. Right? It's all the best players. And Vince Carter. What? And Tracy McGrady. Dunkers. Those ESPN? two guys. Those two guys have goat cards, but like, I don't know. Julius Irving doesn't. Dirk Nowitzki. There's no Elgin Baylor goat card. There's no Jerry West goat card, but Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady have Is there a Kareem goat card? No. And there is for Tracy McGrady. There's a Wilt goat card. Uh, But yeah, Tracy, so I was just like, I give up. He didn't have one. Bill Russell has one that apparently came out uh, this week. But I was just like, where are our priorities? We're giving James Wiseman a Galaxy Opal card and we're giving Vince Carter a goat card. Vince Carter. I love Vince I Carter. Great, yeah. great ringer podcaster. I don't I don't think he was one of the best 50 players of all time. Do you? No. Yeah. He's not. I mean, I think it might have been just. Uh, I, I don't know. Oh, I'll leave to... you with this. Big news. Big news for next week. This will be, I'll give you a week to research this. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, I've been redoing my pyramid again. Because I watched a lot of basketball games during the pandemic, especially from the 90s. I think I might have fucked up with Patrick Ewing. He's too high. I had him. I had no, I had him as the last guy in level two, but I think I should have actually put him in level three. I think I should have had him a, a little bit higher. I think he was a little bit better than I gave him credit for. And I have some regrets. I can see how you got to that though. I can see Ewing's a tough one historically. He he's probably the toughest, right? Because he was the best guy on a real contender there, 90 through 90. But I was watching like this Pistons Knicks series the year after the Bulls beat Pit- the Pistons. And the Pistons had this one last year, this one last hurrah team. And the Knicks like beat the shit out of them. They knocked them out of the playoffs. Ewing had a lot of like, he had a lot of skulls. You know, he won a lot of playoff series and was in the mix in a really relevant way really from like 89 to 95. And I, I think I discounted it too much. So I'm, I'm reevaluating. I was would always wonder if Ewing, Georgetown Ewing is as impressive as any college player I've ever seen. He's okay? unbelievable. Georgetown Ewing is like. The best defensive center I've seen since I've been alive. The most intimidating thing. You just were like, this sucks. And that team should have won more than one title, by the way. Yeah. But. John Thompson. I don't know. Because it wasn't as big of a deal. I wonder if Ewing had not let himself get as big, if that would have changed what would have happened. Because he became kind of, and maybe it's the 90s and it was a plotting no, his, offensive his knee, thing. His knees went on him a little bit. I don't yeah. think his knees, I think by the time the late 80s, I think his knees were probably 75, 80% what they used to be. But think about it though. He he spent four years in college. Think about that. Think about that John four Thompson, years in college. John Thompson could talk Patrick Ewing into coming back for his senior year. That guy could have come out like, right away. He could have come out out of high school. 
people would have freaked out about it if it happened. So I don't, I don't know that he would have gone to number one. But Ewing, that's, I don't know, man. It's tough because you think another one was uh, Kareem, who's the best college basketball player of all time, but spends four years in college. And then when you start comparing like the greatest players of all time, he loses these three NBA years that he could have had that if you're comparing him to LeBron and he still had this amazing longevity, he has, you know, all these different, no, it's a huge deal, it's a but huge he lost deal. these three yeah. years where he would have put up 30 a game. So yeah. Anyway, um, anything you got to plug Ryan Rosillo show still doing yeah, we that. Got, we are still doing it, doing well. <laughs> and, uh, we got Kara Lawson, the new head coach. Oh of Duke women's basketball. And also she was an assistant with the sales last couple of years. So hopefully we get some uh, good stuff. Uh, she's, she's awesome. House and I had a great conversation with her at summer league once in 110 degree heat, but she's a good hang. I, I look forward to listening to that. Rosillo, I'll see you next Sunday night. I can't wait to see how the NBA evolves over these next seven days. This was fun though. It was good to, uh, good to feel normal again for two hours. Good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. And updating the standings. Your Oklahoma City Thunder, imagine if they're playing the Rockets in the first round. I mean, that's a dream. Right. If we had OKC Houston and in the we first had, round and Portland Lakers and Clippers Dallas, those are some bangers. And Miami Philly, those are some bangers. All right. I'll see you next Sunday. All right, thanks to Rosillo, thanks to Spotify, thanks to Home Depot. With the Home Depot, decorating your home is now easier than ever before. Even if you want to get a nice, awesome Keurig machine like I got, and it looks nice and fancy in the kitchen. They offer free delivery on select items, $45 or more. And now, for a limited time, you get 10% off the styles you love when you use code BILLSIMMONS10 at checkout. BILLSIMMONS10 at checkout. Valid on select items online only. Find exactly what you're looking for and more at homedepot.com slash decor we will be back um on tuesday with one more podcast here new rewatchables coming up monday the sandlot that is coming up late monday night stay tuned for that don't forget to check out the ringer nba show with logan and raja their first podcast is going up monday morning go Celtics. <laughs>